It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio, and uh, we are here until 4 o'clock, as we are every week night and a weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 312-981-7200 is the phone number on the uh, Team Hawkbird phone line, 312-981-7200. Uh, coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk with Joshua Hill. Now, we found out about Joshua a few days ago. Um. And he has a, he built a solar powered truck, and he travels across the country with it. Uh, so we're going to talk about the, that, that, and that's a very unique story, and also the future of solar power. Uh, we were talking with Mark Reddig uh, from Landline, uh, and uh, you know we were talking about the possibility of solar powered trucks and 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 how, how unique that would be if a, you know we got a bunch of truckers out there with solar powered uh, trucks. Uh, Joshua, by the way, is in New Mexico, which is a great place to be if you have a solar powered <laughs> if you have a solar powered truck. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about talk to him in, in a little bit. Our good friends from the band uh, The Empty Pockets, uh, Joshua, Josh Solomon, and uh, Erica Brett are going to join us. Um, some of our favorite uh, some of our favorite people, terrific band, uh, The Empty Pockets. They're going to join us to talk about their um, virtual event uh, for the city at the city winery. It's uh, they're going to be opening for Al Stewart, who we all know. Al Stewart, you're the cat. Time passages, um, and um, tickets are available at citywinery.com. Uh, We're going to catch up with them. Check out theemptypockets.com. They're such a, a terrific band, and they're they're such nice people. Um, Tom uh, Hush is my producer. Tom, when did these deep fakes things begin? Oh, that is a an interesting little history on the internet. I would say I started knowing noticing them personally about a year a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. It, it was uh, certain YouTube accounts were taking the time to implant actors' faces who weren't in movies, right? And uh, one that really caught me off guard was Jim Carrey in The Shining. Right, I saw Implant, that one. Yeah, implanted over the performance of Jack Nicholson yeah. in The Shining. And what really freaked me out about it was that this technology can be expanded in so many different ways. Yeah. And it was, it was you know, obvious in the sense that I knew the material, so I knew it had to be fake. And they identified it as fake. But uh, there's, there's a big problem out there with creating fake content with yeah. this incredibly interesting but somewhat dangerous technology yeah I, I i totally agree so we're going to talk about uh uh deep fakes because mit warns of deep fake videos they released a fake video of nixon announcing uh, an apollo 11 disaster um and uh we we're going to be talking about deep fakes and how they're you know they're explained and uh yeah um it's kind of scary 
that it, that it, they because some of these look great. I mean, they look they're they're flawless. Putting someone else's face on on something and 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 uh, but the deep fakes. That's what we're going to jump into that too. Um, Country Tide Lemonade is offering a stimulus package for struggling lemonade stands right now. <laughs> and uh, did you know that lemonade stands are uh, are are actually um, they're they're illegal in most states. I didn't know that. You ever have a lemonade stand? You ever do a lemonade thing? Yeah, but it didn't work out too well. I lived in too kind of remote an area. Not a lot of foot traffic where yeah. I was living. I uh, had a lemonade stand. I did it a couple of times. I lived right on Addison next to the Brown Line stop. So, and I remember one guy tried to negotiate with me about the price of the cup of lemonade. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, nine. He was, I guess I think he was on his way to the L, as most people, you know, in that area are. That's a great place for a lemonade stand. Or on their way to Wrigley. Right. So, I only did it a couple of times, though. I got bored with it. And, I, and it, you know, and I, you know, even as a kid, I didn't like people. <laughs> you got to deal with people if you're going to have a lemonade stand. Uh, we have some really ridiculous uh, fan TV theories that we're going to talk about, too. Which some of these are absolutely hilarious. Like, really ridiculous. So that's all coming up. Uh, you know, we play back some classic uh, clips from the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. And uh, we're going to go back to Bill Maher from 1982. I believe that's the same year that Bill Maher starred in DC Cab. Do you remember DC Cab? You don't remember DC Cab? Never Come on, it. man. I've never seen it. D- DC Cab. It was a movie? Yeah. Okay. The late, great Joel Schumacher directed it. Well, there you go. Mr. T's in it. I'm missing out. Yeah, man. Gary Busey. I, when I talked to Gary Busey, he said, I don't even remember making that movie. I have a feeling a lot of people don't remember making that movie. Uh, Wojohowitz. Max Bear from uh, from Barney Miller. He's in it. Yeah, it's about a cab company in D.C. That's why it's called D.C. Cab. <laughs> it's a ridiculous movie. But uh, Bill Maher's in it. So we're going to hear some uh, stand-up from Bill Maher from a 1982 episode of uh, The Johnny Carson Show. And it's Wednesday, so that means at 3.30, we're going to have a round of Know Your Onion. This is where Tom is your host. We'll get two contestants in who call it at 312-981-7200, and they'll play a round each. And uh, what happens uh, with Know Your Onion is uh, Tom will read you a news headline, and you have to decide whether it's real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. Because the news is weird now. And so uh, we got to test you to see if you know the difference between a real news headline and an onion from the uh, and an, uh, a headline from the Onion. So that's what's coming up. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with a man who build, built a solar powered truck and he's traveling around the country with it. Um, Joshua Hill is his name, and we'll talk all about uh, Awaken Solar. And uh, there you go. All right, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. That's the number.
right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Joshua Hill from Awakened Solar uh, built a solar-powered truck that he travels across the country with. Um, and uh, we heard about this and thought it was pretty fascinating. We wanted to talk to him. So let's say hello to Joshua Hill. Hey, Joshua. How are you, Nick? Uh, I'm, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. When did this uh, come in, into your head? When did you decide, well, I'm, I want to build a solar-powered truck? What was the inspiration? <laughs> and the inspiration was actually a question. It came into my head working in the solar industry, putting solar panels on top of businesses and homes primarily, and uh, working for a company in Idaho. And uh, believe it or not, Idaho gets a lot of sun, more than Florida as far as the solar industry goes. And I kept asking the question, why don't we see an electric vehicle with a solar roof and a solar hood, basically about two panels worth of surface area? And I never got a good answer. Uh, the best answer was, well, it wouldn't give it a full charge. I would say, well, if my you know, gas vehicle got 20% uh, of a full tank for free every day, that'd be something I'd, I'd like. So that's where the inspiration came from. And uh, over the years, I just started saving my money and researching what it would take. And now I've, I've done it. And I'm trying to go cross-country on nothing but solar power. And how's that going for you? So the trip's going pretty well, uh, albeit slowly. And um, I'm trying to basically do the best I can with the equipment that I could afford. Uh, I did some rough numbers, and if I were to just upgrade what I already have, um, you know, it would go about twice as fast. But speed isn't really my goal here. It's more just to, you know, bring solar, bring the awareness of what's possible with solar to the mainstream, to manufacturers and and, uh, consumers out there who may be looking to, you know, look at EVs and solar and and see what's really possible. And, uh, you know, how, how, how is, how has it been received? Do uh, other truckers think you're nuts or, uh, and in in the business or are people supportive of this? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have yet to meet somebody. I'm sure they're out there who, uh, who think, you know, it's, it's uh, a terrible idea. Um, everyone I've talked to, once I kind of explain, you know, my the method and, and how things work, uh, it's actually pretty simple. I mean, I'm just taking solar panels mounted to a uh, an eight-ton box truck and turning them into electricity that then drives the truck. So the principle is, is fairly simple, and uh, the maintenance and fuel costs are zero so far. So, Again, meeting with truckers at, at the truck stops because I'm trying to go across the country. Um, I'm, I'm currently setting the world's record for slowest cross-country uh, <laughs> trip, I think, in a, uh, in a motorized vehicle. So it's, uh, it's arduous. It's been a, a bit of a journey already. There have been unforeseen challenges, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, though, as well, to, to kind of see the country at a little slower pace than normal. Uh, where did you start? So I officially started from the Santa Monica Pier. I wanted to, my goal was to go coast to coast on nothing but solar power. Primarily before that point last month, I was charging on solar, but I I could still plug the truck into charging stations. So my non-official start point for the journey was in Boise, Idaho, where I live. And I went over to Oregon, had some more work done on the truck, came down California, actually with my dad and my nephew. Uh, So it was a family family trip for a little while there. And then once I hit the coast of, uh, of California on the southern, uh, southern side of the state, I started going east, and I have not charged on anything other than the onboard solar panels uh, since then. Wow. 
Wow. Well, now, now, now uh, how fast can the truck go? Is it now? You said it's slow. It's it's it's, it's, it's you, you're you're having a slow journey. But what are we talking about in power wise? How how fast can this thing go? Right. So so this is a bit of a um, a dinosaur in the electric vehicle industry. Um, but the best equipment that I could find to do what I wanted to do. So the truck is a 2010 uh, model. So it's 10 years old. Everything that I'm I'm working with as far as the truck is 10 years old, including the batteries. Um, but the top speed is governed at about 55. And that's another reason that I'm trying to travel early in the mornings, because, you know, even though 55 is a permissible speed, uh, someone coming by at 80 could be hazardous. And so I'm trying to <laughs> to travel when there's not a lot of other people on the road. Mm-hmm. Tell, uh, tell me about the origin of Project Griff. So it, again, it became an idea in 2018, wondering why we weren't using the surface area on top of electric vehicles to charge those vehicles. It's, it's been toyed around with. Uh, Fisker Electric had a car with a solar roof, uh, but it didn't do much. And I thought, you know, to spur the industry to actually do this, um, the math that I got is about 10 to 20 percent of a daily charge could be harnessed from just the roof and the hood of, let's say, a uh, Nissan Leaf or a Tesla Anything like that, you could be supplementing the charge. And the, one of the big knocks on electric vehicles is their range. They, they don't go as far as a gas vehicle. Well, okay, but if they had solar integrated uh, from the factory, technically, they'd never be out of power. You just might need to wait a few hours. So you'd never have that person who died, you know, whose car died a couple hours or a couple miles from home. They could just stop, get a cup of coffee, you know, eat some food, and they'd have enough power to get home. So I don't know why that didn't happen, and so I kept uh, wondering what it would take to do it, did my research, did my math, uh, calculated the numbers, found the right vehicle, a box truck, because then I have a lot of surface area, both the sides and the roof and even the front. Um, I'm not exactly super aerodynamic, but I added two panels above the cab that go from the cab up to the box, uh, a little more aerodynamic, and gives me about uh, 700 watts more power. So I've got more solar on this vehicle than it takes to power an average home. I'm actually producing more kilowatt hours per day than the average homeowner in the United States uses. Wow. That's really something. And are you continuing to work on it? Do you improve it? Do you change do you change it? It sounds like you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I'm I mean this is something that's completely new. I mean, from the get go of the idea, I knew there was gonna be you know, new products, new upgrades, new things that I could try. And as I built it out, I've already thought of ways to improve it, to make it better. You know, I'm not uh, a billionaire here. If I had unlimited funds, this project, you know, would already be in production and you'd have a lot of trucks like this that you could put on the road, but I'm figuring it out as I go, so to speak. So it's been a challenge, but it's been a really fun challenge. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, making it all come together and it's working right now. And there's a lot of things that on a version 2.0, I'd love to do to, to improve the efficiency um, and travel range and things like that. Uh, what happens at night? I mean, you, do you, do you have enough, do you get enough energy during the, during this, during the day to, to, to drive through the night? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not driving again. The, the question that I always get is, is how far do you go? How far can it go uh, in a day? And I feel like that's kind of asking, you know, the Wright brothers, how far their plane went and they shouldn't bother if it can't, you know, go across the ocean in one flight right. uh, like we can do today. 
So I can go about 100 miles per day, 150 or 200 maybe if I'm, you know, going downhill at a low speed. Uh, I've learned that the truck really suffers a lot going uphill, and that's mainly due to the motor and transmission that were, you know, original on this truck. Um, But, yeah, I basically charge all day because I don't want to be moving. If you've seen pictures of my truck, I've got basically two wings. That's why it's called Project Griffin and Griff is it's, it's like a you know hybrid mythical you know griffin that's an eagle and a yeah. and a lion's body so yeah. kind of game of thrones mythical creature there right, right. Uh, that's where the name came from and i've got these wings so it can't travel with those folded out and that's two thirds of my solar production so anytime the sun's out i want to be charging and charging at maximum efficiency with the wings out mm. so i can move around during the day the truck can even charge while i'm moving around from solar but I'm not getting the surface area um, that's optimal. So I try to, you know, set up at sunrise and break down at sunset and then move the truck around, you know, in the evening uh, just to get maximum efficiency. Wow. Okay, uh, Joshua, hang on. Uh, Hang on. Joshua Hill is with us, Awaken Solar, uh, and uh, he has built a solar-powered truck. And we'll see uh, what what he thinks about the future of this in the industry. Uh, 312-981-7200. On uh, 720 WGN, it's Nick DeGilio. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio, and we're here until uh, 4 a.m. 312-981-7200 is the, uh, is the number if you would like to join us. Um, and uh, our friends from the, uh, the, the band The Empty Pockets, uh, Josh Solomon and uh, Erica Brett, are going to join us after midnight to talk about their virtual gig with Al Stewart, City Winery. Um, right now, though, we're talking with Joshua Hill. Uh, he built a solar-powered truck, and he's driving across the country in it. Um, we heard about this a couple of, a couple of nights ago, and thought we'd uh, we'd chat with him about it. It's uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, Joshua, how how long has solar energy been around? It's it's you know when did it first begin? Do you know? I do know. Uh, I can't remember the exact year. I want to say 1954, but it was in Bell Labs. In uh, it was so it's an American invention. Uh, there were some people fooling around with electricity in, in different parts of, of the world, but Bell Labs really pioneered the photovoltaic cell. When you say solar, there are a couple things that people might mean, but generally they mean photovoltaics or PV. Mm-hmm. So solar PV is the, the panels that make electricity. There's solar thermal, which, you know, you put these basically big you know, they're panels, but they carry water, and then the sun heats up the water. A lot of places use that for, let's say, pool heat, uh, and that's technically solar, too. But solar PV has been around since the 50s, and it really started getting pioneered and more mainstream around the 70s when we had um, the nation's first big energy crisis. So There's during a- the energy crisis, solar became something people started saying, hey, that thing up there in the sun, in the sky called the sun can be used for energy. We, we might start looking for that so we don't have to rely on uh, oil from other countries so much. Yeah, I remember the energy crisis, and uh, and that was the first time I remember uh, hearing about solar uh, solar power. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was yeah. back in, back in the seventies. There, uh, let's see. We yeah, got... it was. 
Go ahead. It was not that not that cost effective back then, but it definitely is now. I mean, that's that's how I was able to to build my truck. I just was working in the solar industry, and then when I came up with the idea, started saving every penny uh, and was able to buy my panels. I did want to address. You had a guest. I listened to your show uh, earlier, and and Mark from uh, Mark Redding. Yeah. Oh my gosh, landline. Yeah, Mark Redding. Yeah, it, yeah. He, he he. I want to address what he thought was sketchy first about oh, my information. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he said. He said he was a fan of renewables, but but when he could afford them, uh, he might look into doing it on his house. And I want to tell everyone listening that if you can afford your power bill, you can afford solar today, because generally that's all that happens is the money you're paying monthly to pay your power bill is what you need to finance a solar system and put it on your roof. And that, that was also one of the inspirations for this project was to just raise solar awareness and how it works and how affordable it is today. Wow. Uh, this is news. I gotta say, um, <laughs> uh, really seriously. Um, so if 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 this is the case, why hasn't it taken off more, Josh? I, I've been trying to answer that question uh, since I've been in the industry, and a lot of people have been in the industry longer than I have. I've been in about five years uh, and helped a few hundred people go solar, and I, and I love it. You can actually see, you know, I can go by their home for the next thirty years and see those panels making electricity powering that home. Uh, I don't know why it's not more mainstream. I, I believe in the U.S. this past year we, we peaked 2 million homes uh, that had solar, but that's still a small fraction yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, of, of what's out there. I, I think they're still building more than 2 million homes per year. And, you know, there are a few states uh, some people love to hate, but California is one of them, and they, they have a mandate that new, new homes – um, should have some solar on them. And, and to me, it just makes sense because in the summertime, uh, Nick, what's making your house hot? Uh, the the sun. Exactly. So <laughs> why don't we use that sunlight's energy to power your air conditioner and cool you off? Yeah. Um, all of this makes sense to me, man. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad I'm tracking with you here because for some people, I lose them somewhere along the way. But really, the biggest thing in solar is to know that truly – with financing now, it's just like a car. Most people don't buy their car with cash. So a solar system's price tag, you know, it's up there. It's, it's tens of thousands, typically. It depends on the size of the house, uh, the amount of electricity they use, the direction of the roof, a lot of factors. But generally, you know, if you're paying $200 a month for electricity, you stop paying the power company, you pay $200, even less sometimes in certain states, depending on the policies, less per month for solar to make your own power and be energy independent. And that was... Originally, another part of the idea for Project Griffin was to go cross-country and give seminars and teach people that. But uh, 2020 has been a, a tumultuous year, and yeah. my plans have changed. So Yeah, everybody's plans have changed over the years. Right. Um, and uh, let's see, here's Bill on WGN. Hey, Bill. Yeah, Josh, uh, I purchased some stock in a company back in the early 80s called Solar Electric Engineering in California. And he was building solar-powered cars at that time. And it had oh, wow. handles on the roof, the hood, and the lid of the trunk. And mm-hmm. he had about three cars running around, but, of course, it's like anything else. It just didn't go because I, I uh, just invested into it. I'll never forget. I paid 30 cents a share for a 1,000 shares I bought into it. And some guy called me one day and offered me $2 a share. And I said, no, I'm going to hold on to it. Well, it went belly up. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that's that, a classic. But, could have but, could have but, cashed out if you had known. Right, but the thing of it is, uh, 
solar energy is a great thing, but I can see the point. Mm-hmm. The petroleum industry just puts them out of business. They just they just beat them down, right? Because you know, if right. you go to solely solar, these big diesel trucks sitting there beside you, they're going to be yeah. burning that one right. two mile a gallon fuel and stuff. You know, so I mean, it's it, that's that makes well, a big difference in petroleum the petroleum industry. But it's it's a great idea because you know you figure the Tesla is almost the same thing except it plugs in, but right. It's, right. it's electric powered. I have I have a nephew who owns a Tesla. He lives in the state of Washington, and he loves it. Yeah, and right. The, no, they're they're one of the best cars on the road. Yeah, we talk about uh, we t- we've talked about that a lot. We've talked about Tesla a lot on the show, um, and uh, it's 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 you know it's interesting to see uh, the the strides that they're making in this industry. Uh, Bill, thanks for the call. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Um, what kind of transmission does the truck use? That's a good question. It's a single speed, so it's the it's the original transmission. If you look up Smith Newton, so like uh, let's say Tesla makes the Model Three, Smith made the Newton. That's the model of my truck, and it's the the basic transmission they used. Uh, and again, it's it's governed. It only goes about fifty five miles per hour, but it never shifts. So it starts. You know, you just press the accelerator, and it it starts to slowly accelerate. I mean, this thing drives like a tank. It, it's about eight tons <laughs> yeah. on a box truck. Uh, but back to Bill's point, you know, and the petroleum industry, I think now in 2020 and going forward over the next few years, the cat's out of the bag. They're not going to be able to put solar energy, you know, back in a box and, and keep people from using it. Uh, and to give you an example of, of big money going behind solar, Shell Oil left, I, I believe, left OPEC, and I know they bought Sonnen energy and Sonnen is Germany's largest battery manufacturer. They have tens of thousands of residential batteries, you know, storing solar power during the day so the homes can run at night. And now they're owned by Shell and Shell was an oil company. That's how they made their money. So they're putting their chips in, you know, with solar, with renewable and with battery technology. That's interesting. That I I, I didn't know that. And that's a, that you can't get a bigger company than Shell. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, and you think back to name some of the other companies like Exxon, they've had some oopsies when it comes to oil, and uh, that really costs all of us. So you will not have that with solar. That's one of the other huge benefits is the safety aspect of this. No matter what you think about, you know, the environment and, and um, green energy and renewables, solar is one of the safest ways to generate electricity. You don't have a, a meltdown like with nuclear. You don't have any oil spills. I mean, you just, and especially if you distribute it on top of people's roofs, they own it, and every little house makes its own little amount of power, and with the grid, we kind of tie that all together and manage it. And uh, batteries and EVs, another, you know, benefit of what I'm trying to do here is show that electric vehicles can be power plants. They're basically moving power plants if you integrate solar. Um, in, in, in other countries, they're already doing this. I read a story in Japan where I believe it was a school uh, the power went out, they have like 10 Nissan Leafs pull up and plug in, and boom, those electric vehicles are now powering the building. Wow. That's amazing. That really is amazing. Let me ask you this. Um, how would solar work in a place like Chicago where you have, we have really dark and long winters? Right, right. Yeah, so winter is going to be a challenge the farther north you go, obviously. You know, I'm, I'm going along the southern route of the United States first yeah. to, to try to, you know, show that it's possible and get the most sunlight. You know, there's a reason I'm not driving across um, <laughs> the northern route, even in the summertime. So in the wintertime, what you would really have to do is, you know, I, don't, I know solar isn't going to be 
100% of every every location's power generation needs. Um, but to answer the question, you basically just install more solar than you need, and you get battery, better battery uh, systems. And, and in fact, you just you basically diversify your storage needs. So instead of just having chemical batteries, you start thinking outside the box, and they're doing this in other countries as well. Um, kind of imagine those big grain silos that a lot of farmers used to use and maybe don't use anymore. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there empty. What if you would fill those up with, you know, trash, you compact trash, and it's really heavy, and then you put them on a platform that goes up and down inside that silo? Well, the solar during the day, even if it's a winter day and there's not a lot of sun, if you have more panels than you need, they can move a gravity battery up, and at night, or if there's a storm, if you have enough of those, then as they come down, they could spin a turbine and generate uh, power during during the evening, during a winter storm. But you're never going to get, you know, Alaska to be 100% solar. Right. You're never going to get Chicago and downtown. There's just there's there's not enough surface area. But um, using a lot of creative methods, you can get really close. I mean, uh, on a car, when you calculate the surface area of the hood and the roof, you can also start to factor in the glass of that car, the windshield and the the side windows and the rear window, because solar glass is a thing. It already exists. It's already pretty efficient. So you can see through it, right? It's transparent. It just has a slight tint. And uh, you could put that on top of, you know, on the back windshield for sure of a car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh, hang on, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Joshua Hill is with us, uh, and he built a solar-powered truck. We're going to talk more about the solar world and a solar-powered truck and how it works and all that. And if uh, you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. All right. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, we're live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock on a uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, know Your Onion is coming up uh, later on. Um, and uh, coming up after midnight, Josh Solomon and Erica Brett are going to join us. They're in the band, uh, The Empty Pockets. Real uh, good friends of the show. They got a gig coming up um, at the uh, City Winery that we'll tell you about. Uh, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Uh, Joshua Hill is uh with me he's my guest right now he built a uh solar powered truck and he's traveling across the country in it and we're talking about the world of solar power and uh his vehicle and much more and if you would like to uh join us with a question or a comment 312-981-7200 uh oh josh uh let's talk a little bit about uh the impact that this could make on in in, in american industry if if we expanded oh more. absolutely yeah so what- and, and that was another big motivation behind my, you know, putting all my uh, time and effort into this project. It, it's, it's huge because not only can I show people how they could save money by investing in solar on their home, on our businesses, you know, any business owner that goes solar potentially would save money over, over buying power. And as we say in the business, you're renting power from the utility company versus owning it yeah, yeah. Uh, when you own solar. But we have the potential to revolutionize the grid. As I mentioned before, you can look at EVs as many power plants, electric vehicles. If they integrate solar, they can generate power as well as store it. 
So now, again, if there's an emergency situation, and let's say after a hurricane, you know, the weather's usually pretty sunny because the storm, you know, blew everything and, and skies are blue. If you have solar vehicles at a hospital, right, you could potentially power that hospital if the grid stays down. And whenever the grid is down, it costs us millions upon millions of dollars. Yeah. And it goes out in the United States. Uh, believe it or not, we're, as a first world country, we're one of the last rated countries as far as the reliability of our grid. And I, I think a lot of people can can re, uh, relate to that if, if they kind of realize that their power goes out a few hours, a few times per year. In other countries, the average outage is just minutes, maybe once per year. And we've had some really big outages in the United States. Uh, you know, Nick, do you want to guess the number one cause of grid outages? Um, uh, it, is it, would it be weather related? Uh, weather's, weather's a big one that causes the big ones, but the most common uh, reason is squirrels. What? Squirrels and, uh, and overgrown trees because the, the power companies want to save money, right, and, and pass profits along to everyone who's an investor or, you know, salaried at the power company, and they don't trim the trees often enough. And in certain states, they've even taken the distance a tree can be from a power line from, let's say, four or six feet to six inches and you know then a storm comes along and that tree hits the lines causes a fire causes an outage uh fires have killed people so if we have more solar on the grid distributed generation we have less outages we have less propensity for fires and and big disasters like that and we can really have true energy independence and this was the big one for me when i started to put it together was that if we are energy independent, meaning we don't, we have too much energy, let's say in five years or 10 years, because we have all this solar. And in the summertime, we don't need to buy any oil. We don't have to go to war over oil. I want to ask every listener and yourself included, you know, think of just search oil war. And imagine if you knew someone that might've died in one of those wars from, you know, Vietnam till now, all the conflicts over power and over energy. And we can say now, we can draw the line in the sand and say, hey, we want energy independence. We want to have more energy than we need and not have to buy energy from other countries and oil from other places. It's possible now, and that's really what I want to do. Totally understand. Uh, here's uh, Bob on WGN. Hi, Bob. Hi. Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, what is your battery storage device? Uh, it's all lithium, lithium-ion batteries, so it's there are approximately 170 kilowatt hours uh, on this vehicle. They weren't all stock. I, I added some on for extra storage because going from solar to the drivetrain batteries, I basically have two battery packs, and that also is what allows me to charge, uh, to run, let's say, my home. Again, I, I saw the potential of using the EV as emergency power, like a little generator, um, as a huge plus. So I have a battery pack that converts to AC, and then I have a second battery pack that actually drives the truck. So all total, I've got a lot of power on this thing. Wow, that's amazing. That really is. Hey, Joshua, how did you get into the solar uh, business? What, what, what brought you uh, there? So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story, I think. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's kind of my life, so that's, I'm biased. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I started out as a farmer, and we were all about sustainability. You know, you would fix something instead of throw it away. Uh, food was, was money, and everything was powered by Mother Nature. And so... I went to college uh, in, in Rhode Island from, uh, from Florida and uh, had family out west. So after college, I was kind of a lost boy. 
and um, lived in Nevada, lived in California, then moved to Idaho, and basically just chose the solar industry. I said, you know, this makes sense. It's an up-and-coming industry. It's something I want to learn more about. And because it's a newer industry, I mean, it's been around for 60, 70 years, as we said, yeah. but it really has started to take off um, in the last 10, 15 years. So I said, you don't need a lot of experience. Uh, so I chose to go into the solar industry just because I thought it made sense. And then again, once I got in the industry, I said, wow, we really need to be using this everywhere and more and more common. Every ro- My goal is to, to put solar on every rooftop uh, in America, including car rooftops. Yeah. Well, well, that's, that's, that's uh, commendable. Obviously, you learned a lot about it. <laughs> because you know uh, you got interested and in, you learned a lot about it and you're you're now so how often do you get to do you get to be in a public uh area speaking about this <laughs> yeah again you know with with 2020 setbacks um it it hasn't happened very much i've been talking to people i'm really going to really focus on content online for the next few months i've got a lot of i mean i've got uh, security cameras on this truck that have that have caught things that have happened and uh, I need to put together that content. Um, it's just me. I mean, I'm running my, my website, my business. I've still got um, some things from, from my work in the solar industry that I'm tying up. So I'm pretty, pretty busy, but I'm still trying to make sure that instead of doing the live format, yeah. which I had originally intended, yeah. uh, I'm pivoting towards doing online content and I'm, I'm going to get a lot more content out there. Awaken Solar is my handle on all social media platforms and my website, awakensolar.com. Uh, we'll have all the stories and adventures from the truck and the, the technology. I plan on, you know, again, just trying to educate people first because I hope and I think that's what's missing to your question of, you know, why isn't solar more common? Yeah. Awakensolar.com. Correct. All yeah. right. Yeah. Solar. It's on there right now, and there's there's some some older videos that uh, that give the basics of solar pretty well. But I'm going to make those shorter, more concise, so that people can easily, you know, in five minutes, know their their answers to their questions. Because when I got in the solar industry, that was something I found was a challenge and was really frustrating. Was even the company I was working for, I said, "Well, how does this work?" and there was no easy answer. You had to ask three or four people, and uh, they didn't want to tell you. And the reason for that, I mean, it makes sense. The business wants to get in front of you and, you know, say, hey, Nick, we want to try to sell you solar before we can tell you how much it costs, right? Yeah. And there are reasons they, they, they really can't tell you how much it costs because it is a custom product. Um, but, you know, those kind of things cause trust issues, I believe, and I think the industry is suffering uh, from a lack of trust. And I've heard a lot of solar scams out there, and they're very sad. It's it's people are you know just like anything with from cars to to plumbing. Uh, there's bad apples in the in the solar industry as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's Trucker Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. How are you guys doing tonight? All right. What's up? Uh, quick question. Uh, it sounds like he's got this mounted to a box truck. What is the gross? What would be the gross vehicle weight that the truck could haul with a you know? in its original gas diesel form versus how much the batteries weigh now that he's got all that, you know, assembled on the vehicle. Yeah, great question, Rich. I um, The answer is that I weigh a little under 8 tons right now, so 16,000 pounds, and uh, the gross vehicle uh, capacity would be over 20,000. Uh, the batteries I've added in, each pod, I have four pods. Each pod, you know, box basically of batteries weighs about fifteen hundred pounds. So there, there were two that came on the truck, and I added two more. So 
that added quite a bit. The panels themselves, they weigh about 40 or 50 pounds each. I've got 18 of those that generate all my power for a full charge each day. And again, they fold out. And so there's, there's metal and frames um, and a lot of parts that I've added to the truck. And so if I had a factory and, you know, I'm uh, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or somebody like that, I could whip these out at a lot lower weight because I could integrate them into the roof. My truck was a box truck. So you can imagine a UPS truck and the box has a certain weight. And also one of the things is the engine that's not in my truck save some of the weight. So while my batteries are heavy, I don't have that big diesel engine uh, or gas engine in a normal truck. So there's a trade-off with some of the weight. Yeah. All right, Rich. Right. Okay, I was just kind of wondering because, you know, as a as driving a truck, everything's based on weight. The more more you can right. haul, the more you make. So, you know, Obviously, I was just wondering yeah. if in the long term it would be worthwhile. Yeah, no, I see, I see the industry taking on solar as a hybrid technology to start. Um, I actually just had a conversation, a really uh, uh, intelligent trucker stopped by and uh, said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about your truck, and we got to chatting, and basically, if you can just offset with solar and a really small, light battery pack, the amount of fuel that trucks burn at night uh, when they're sitting, you know, running their generators or, or even idling the truck to, to keep their cab cool and you know, power their refrigerator and laptop and cell phones, if you could just offset that with solar, you'd save thousands and thousands each year in fuel costs. Yeah. All right, Rich, I got to run. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. There you go. Uh, Josh, really fascinating stuff, man. Uh, And congratulations on it. And uh, and I hope you get that uh, you get that message out there. Uh, Really, I, I learned a lot. Uh, that I just was not aware of. And I think people should check out. Do we have time no. for me to ask you a few questions or, or uh, do no, one last uh, quick rundown? No, we're done. Oh, no. Yeah, we're done. I got. I have to get oh. to, I have to top of the hour, so I have to get to no the news. No problem. But Joshua, so uh, congratulations. AwakenSolar.com is the website. Thanks, man, and best of luck to you. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thank okay. you, WGN. Okay, there you go. Joshua Hill, AwakenSolar.com. Uh, man, fascinating stuff. So that was fun. All right, our good friends from the band, uh, the Empty Pockets, are going to join us after uh, midnight, um, and that's what's coming up. And uh, immediately, here's the news. So let's not go far. You sing me a song while I'm right. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here until 4 o'clock. It is a Wednesday morning, so that means a little bit later on at 3.30, we'll play a round of Know Your Onion. That's where we'll take uh, two contestants. They'll each play a round. Tom is your host, and he will read some... Uh, uh, news headlines, and you have to guess whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion, and then you win. What's what's wrong with that? Nothing. <laughs> uh, also, uh, at 2.30, we always play some classic uh, bits from the uh, Johnny Carson show, and you can watch the Johnny Carson show every um, week, every night on uh, Antenna TV. We're going to play back uh, some Bill Maher from 1982. So uh, that's coming up. We're going to talk about deep fakes, uh, some very weird fan TV theories, and lemonade stands. They're illegal. Shut them down. 
<laughs> Little punks. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. The music that you just heard is from a uh, a band called The Empty Pockets. Really uh, great band. Uh, really cool people. Friends of the show. Um, you know, uh, it's the EmptyPockets.com is the website. Well, there's going to be a virtual event at City Winery here in Chicago. And we've got a couple of uh, members of the Empty Pockets with us. That's Josh Solomon and, and Erica Brett. Hello, Josh. Hey, good to talk to you, Nick. All right, buddy. Hey, Erica. Hey, I'm so glad to hear your voice. It's great to hear you guys, too. And I can't wait till we cl- we're cleared to have guests in studio. We'll get you back in here real soon, okay? Can't wait. Yeah. So um, uh, how have you been dealing with this uh, weirdness that's happening, the pandemic and the quarantine and all that? Let's start with you, Josh. We have been, uh, well, I think we took about seven or ten days at the very top. Everything got canceled as we all, in terms of touring, and we just sort of were shell-shocked. And then we said, well, we got to do something. And so I, I look back now, I can't believe it's July. We just did our 42nd, I think, live virtual broadcast of some kind. Mm-hmm. So we've... We've kept ourselves busy, man. Yeah. It's a weird new world. Erica, how how are you dealing with this? It's a little weird, right? We've been hustling. Um, It's definitely not the same to perform on a live stream uh, on a computer, but we have have found a lot of silver linings and feel like we've been really connecting to people this way, and I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy it now. Now that we've ironed out the tech and we're not fighting with each other before the show starts every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's uh, really quickly, uh, the background here. When did the Empty Pockets uh, uh, begin? Oh, boy. 2006, me and a good friend of mine, Nate Bellins, started the Empty Pockets. And a couple of years later, we did a musical called The Buddy Holly Story. And Erica was in it, and I met her. And we fell in love, and we changed the name from Josh and the Empty Pockets to just the Empty Pockets because Nick, as you know, Eric is such an amazing singer. Yeah, oh yeah. She took over lots of the singing duties, oh, yeah. and then uh, over time, we really got to love not just playing, but like backing up other artists. And so we've sort of found our niche backing up people like Kenny Loggins or uh, Simon Kirk of Bad Company, or sort of lately um, Al Stewart, the. 1970s legendary rocker. Yeah. Folk rocker. You're the Cat and uh, Time Passages. So many great songs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. I just bought a bunch of wood for, for like, to smoke. I've been smoking a lot of stuff. Yeah. And and I went to the, the, the this dude who sold the wood was, like, a really uh, woodsman-y type guy. Okay. You know, Trump hat, like, the whole thing. Yeah. And... He says, well, you, you, you're a musician. You're probably not, you probably don't play any music I like. And I say, I'm, I'm a guitar player uh, for this guy named Al Stewart from the 70s. And he goes, no, that's my favorite artist. You're the cat is my favorite song. <laughs> it was shocking to me. So you never know. Yeah, you, do, yeah, you never know. It's fantastic. Um, so, the, the, uh, Eric, the, the, um, the virtual stuff um, that you do, how do you go about it? Well, we, um, how do we go about it? We have a lot of cameras set up, a lot of technology happening at the same time. We try to broadcast multiple places. We're doing multiple types of virtual broadcasts. 
Um, we've done everything from um, punching in people from different parts of the country that we know perform and sort of doing like, you know, um, us throwing them songs and vice versa to concerts of uh, kids music to concerts, you know, of our own, of our own music. So it's been, it's been a huge, awesome experience for us to just sort of explore and connect with people in a million different ways. And it's been, uh, it's been wild. Hey, I gotta say, I've had, um, other musicians on and I've had stand up uh, comedians, um, on and, uh, everyone who you know the entertainment industry is taking such a hit and with all the live yeah. shows not happening anymore but everyone seems to have embraced this uh the technology and the virtual aspect of it and and it and it's it's kind of keeping the entertainment it's different it's weird it's kind of keeping the entertainment stuff going though it is and i i feel like um you know we're we're all this this a couple months before this all started happening, you know, no one would have been interested in this kind of medium in the same way. But now that there's um, a long future of this is seemingly ahead, um, the commitment to enjoying entertainment this way is like a renaissance. And I feel like, you know, Josh and I in the band and the people who are engaging in this type of, of creation are sort of creating a new medium and, you know, the pivot is going to make us better creators and, and hopefully better artists and musicians. Yeah. It's also really interesting to, you know, to, to talk about this virtual, uh, re, you know, reality that we're in, uh, to watch late night talk shows now. <laughs> it's just so yeah. weird. You know, the, it's, it's just a whole bunch of people in different boxes. Uh, yeah. And, and, but it, but that's, that's the reality of it, and they're, and they're making it work. I've loved Trevor Noah at home. Yeah. Like I've, the Daily Show. Yeah. I, I, it, it's very, it, the whole thing is so interesting. And I've been talking to a lot of musicians. I think you would like this, Nick, or think this is interesting that I've been using the Blackhawks story as a reference a lot, you know, because I've been saying when we get back eventually, we can carry over some of this virtual bands can make every single show available yeah. to their audience. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and some, a lot of like music executives say that's going to cannibalize the show. Nobody's going to want to buy tickets. And I say, you sound like old man worth, you know, who's, <laughs> who's keeping the Blackhawks <laughs> home games off TV. Right, in right. reality, it's doing the opposite. Yeah. Um, in fact, I saw Hamilton on Disney Plus, and now I want to see it more live, not yeah. less. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. All right, you guys, hang on. Josh uh, Solomon and Erica Brett from the band The Empty Pockets are uh, with us. Check out TheEmptyPockets.com. Great friends of the show. Terrific band. Really lovely people. And uh, they've got a, uh, an event happening uh, with City Winery uh, and Al Stewart. And we'll uh, we'll talk about that and more on 720 WGN. If you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio, and uh, we are here until uh, 4 a.m. 312-981-7200 is the number. Josh Solomon and Erica Brad are my guests from the band The Empty Pockets. You can check out TheEmptyPockets.com. Uh, and uh, Josh and Erica, hello. 
Hello. Right. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about the uh, well. First of all, um, the virtual stuff that you're doing. The rest of the band, obviously, doing it from their from their houses as well. Well, we actually have uh, our studio is situated in such a way we have three rooms with two different entrances. So we've been doing our virtual stuff uh, socially distanced, but in the same building. Oh, I see. I see. So what's made some of the audio stuff we've done possible. We've been playing full band, which is like really crazy over the internet. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Wow. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's talk about this uh, event at uh, City Winery uh, in Chicago with uh, Al Stewart. Another another show with Al Stewart. Uh, Erica, explain what's going on with this. Well, since uh, Al Stewart lives in Los Angeles and we're here in Chicago. Um, but we have an awesome relationship with the City Winery here, and we've been doing shows for many years with Al at City Wineries across the country. When we pivoted to live streaming, it seemed to only make sense to sort of combine our relationship with the City Winery and a relationship with Al and make some sort of a show out of it. Um, since playing with Al is not really a possibility due to distance and the Internet capabilities currently, um, we sort of decided to have him do the thing that he does second best, which is tell stories and um, anecdotes about the songs and his life. So it's going to be a really, really cool show where he's picked all the songs that our band is going to perform from the stage of the City Winery Chicago. And we will sort of patch him in and have conversations with him between the songs and sort of describe what those songs mean to him and his life. And this is on, uh, this is coming up on Saturday, uh, right, Josh? Yeah, Saturday. It's on a platform called Veeps, which is a very cool and high quality uh, streaming platform that's ticketed. And uh, I lost the uh, ticket price battle, so they're only $12. Okay. So it's a, it's a, pretty, good, uh, it's a pretty good deal. It's going to be really awesome. We're telling the story of, like, Al's life and career through his words. He's a magnificent storyteller. And uh, really cool songs, like some, a couple non-Al Stewart songs, like one called Move It uh, by Cliff Richard in the Shadows, which Al claims created the British invasion on the English side. So it's going to be a cool show. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds really, really great. And uh, tickets are available at citywinery.com, correct? Yeah, correct. That's correct. And that's where you can that's where you can actually see the you can see it online is at citywinery.com. It's actually going to uh, it'll send you to veeps.com, oh, Veeps, which is right. our platform okay. for this, yeah. Okay. But you can get it on the City Winery Chicago's website. Okay. Yep. Uh, that's that's really great. Is this is going to be it's it's going to be it's going to be a challenge, but it's going to be fun, right? Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. Yeah. And uh, has, has Al been doing anything virtually during this? So we did a we did a press conference last week, and we were nervous because he doesn't have a cell phone. So you know, technology with him is is touch and go. But but Josh, uh, tell him tell him what you did, man. We 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 took a long time. We got Zoom installed on Al's computer. Some some said it was impossible. You know, he he says he writes by candlelight with a quill. So he's <laughs> like the opposite of a tech guy but zoom is very simple and once we got it working he did he needed a really good um digital virtual press conference which is not something i would ever attend i thought i would ever attend uh, so we actually are going to do a dress rehearsal and i think al's going to be great i'm very uh, excited and nervous 
he was remarkably comfortable considering his lack of technology use. So I'm I'm very excited for what's about to happen. Yeah, by candlelight with a quill. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, how's the rest of the band holding up, Josh? Oh, I don't know. You never know with Nate. You know. <laughs> yeah, he's making money. All right, we've been playing music. What do you think, Eric? He's, he, I think everybody's doing pretty well. We're we're a resilient bunch, and I I think the fact that we've been playing music has has kept us feeling relatively healthy. Mm-hmm. Dude, it, it is weird not being in a different city every night for most of my life. It's very odd, but it's yeah. really I mean, cool. We, we listened to Jackson Brown's um, "Loadout." I don't know if you've heard that song in a while, and uh, I cried. I, uh, I cried. Yeah. Okay. You know, and the last time you guys were in studio. Uh, you were about to do a cruise, and I'm, that didn't happen. No. It, it did not. And yeah. I don't think that's in the future. So that's sort of a bummer, you know, stuff like that. We, we had got back from the U.K. That seems another U.K. tour seems far away right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, everything is kind of shut down uh, uh, at this point. It's uh, it's crazy. And I just feel bad, you know, I feel bad for well everybody who's losing uh, – you know, losing business and losing money on this, but also uh, to the venues. I, I just, uh, it's just heartbreaking, you know, uh, you know, like uh, all the money that they're losing, legendary places, you know, like, uh, you know, the, you know, like bars and places like that. And, you know, like yeah. Cap- and Metro, you know, the Metro. Yep. Uh, it's, and all the, it's, all the crew, all the crew yeah, at all those yeah, places. Absolutely. Yeah. The sound guys, the light guys, all, all of that stuff. Um, it, yeah. It's really been incredibly sad and impactful and, we hope that we can return to some sense of normalcy. Um, well, maybe we can start like this live stream thing to go massively wild, and we can get all the technicians back to do that. Yeah, yeah we want to hire technicians. <laughs> I mean, we love the crew, and it's like at least performers can do something. It's hard to be a behind-the-scenes person right now. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It really is. I've talked to a lot of people who uh, – you know whose whose businesses are being affected by this. There was a, a, a slow open, but now they're gonna they're gonna tighten up the restrictions again on Friday uh, yeah. for bars and restaurants. Um, and uh, so uh, hopefully everybody you know will survive this and we'll get through it um, and and come out on the other side. But uh, so yeah. what what it, 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 besides the the Saturday for the uh, City Winery uh, virtual show with Al Stewart? What's what's in the future for you guys, Josh? We're streaming for free. Every Wednesday at three o'clock. Oh, it's something we've just like a new, almost like TV show for us. I named it. I'm very clever. I named it weekly online concert. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it's every Wednesday at three. We take tips and donations and people have been very generous. We do about an hour of original music. And, uh, I think we're going to keep that going forever. It just feels right. For some reason, it's like a band practice, but public. Yeah. Yeah, we're developing this little community there that's been, it's been really fun. Like the, the trade-off from being in person has been this little group that we're, we're getting to know online, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Well, you see, see, there are some positives that are come out of this. You know, you, you, you'll continue to do this, you know, once everything opens up and, you know, we're past this, you'll continue to do these cool things on the internet and, uh, and virtually. Yeah, yeah and it, it causes us to think internationally in a different way. Like we put it at three because that's one Pacific and it's nine o'clock UK, so it's all really reasonable time for our fan base from Los Angeles to Glasgow. And I've never thought like that before. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, t- 
<laughs> Tom uh, just made a face uh, because you said, uh, well, tell, tell him. Well, it's Glasgow. That's yeah, they said that out. to me in, uh, in Glasgow. They did correct me many times. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Okay. I panicked for a second. Yeah, because he's part, uh, you know, Tom is part Scottish. So he, he and you know, and if it's not Scottish, it's crap. Well, um, do you have any opinions how, on the band Delamitri? Delamitri. Delamitri. Uh, I'll be honest, I've not heard of Delamitri. You serious? Wow. Look around your world, pretty baby. Is it ever? Oh my God! I hope it be. Oh wow! The wrong time, yeah. the wrong I'll, I'll, I'll say yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll I'll give that a pass. I, I think Delamitri. I'll give him, a, give him a thumbs up. They had a, they had a period of time in the early nineties when they were a thing. It's a uh, Glasgow band. They're Glasgow. Ah, okay. They're banned out of Glasgow. Okay. Josh loves them very much, and when we got there, he was excited to profess his love to everyone there. And basically, everyone rolled their eyes. Oh, they did. They're, they're not liked in their in their home in their native land. I eventually learned it's because they wrote a early two thousands Scottish national team uh, World Cup song, and the theme of it was like "Don't come home too soon." And then the Scottish World Cup team came lost in the first round, and then everybody hates they, Delamitri. They now. blame Delamitri for that. They blame them. That's what I understand. <laughs> What's your take on the Bay City Rollers? <laughs> not good that's yeah. my take whoa 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 s-a-t-u-r-d-a-y a number of times and that is not a quality song <laughs> that, that, then, please enlighten me what are you going to listen to when you're getting ready to go out on a saturday night <laughs> It's it's literally Elton John. The, no, well that's fine. If you want to start a fight, I'm not trying to start any fights Elton John, on Saturday baby. night. I just want to go out on an S A T U R D A Y <laughs> night. Maybe you're Saturdaying in the park, you know, instead. Yeah, there you go. That's fair. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh Josh, Erica, always a pleasure to have you guys in here uh talking and hopefully when this is all over we'll get you back in the studio and we'll hang out for a while, okay? Thank I hope you so much, man. we're here we're talking baseball. Uh, baseball, yeah. Well, it's, it's back. It's coming back. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, empty the EmptyPockets dot com is the website. And uh, one more time uh, for the for the website, um, the you can go to citywinery dot uh, com. Yeah, or the EmptyPockets dot com for the for that show. It's a, it's on Saturday on the twenty fifth. Just go to the EmptyPockets dot com. It's all there. Okay, there you go. Empty the EmptyPockets dot com. Al Stewart and uh, and the Empty Pockets through the City Winery Chicago. Uh, thank you guys. Always so much fun to have you on. Thank Thanks, you so man. much, man. We really appreciate you. Of course. Anytime, buddy. Okay, there you go. Josh and Erica from uh, The Empty Pockets. Check out TheEmptyPockets.com. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Hi. Live in the Skyline studio on a Wednesday morning. So uh, 3.30 on Wednesday, every Wednesday, we do a Know Your Onion. 
Tom will quiz you on whether you can uh, identify uh, a, a news uh, headline as real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. Okay, so the deep fakes is a thing now. Um, and you mentioned, uh, Tom, the first one that you really remember was when they put Jim Carrey's face over Jack Nicholson's in The Shining. And it looked real. Surprisingly good. Yeah. So we've got that kind of technology now where people can do these deep fakes. So do you trust videos online is the question. Um, do you trust anything online, I guess, is, <laughs> is, a, is a valid question as well. But 312-981-7200. MIT released a deep fake video of Nixon announcing NASA Apollo 11 disaster. Uh, the Apollo 11 moon landing on July 20th, 1969, was a landmark moment in space history. But what if the astronauts died during their mission to the moon and President Richard Nixon had to deliver the tragic news on TV to the American viewing public? In this disturbingly real deepfake video, uh, President Nixon breaks the news that NASA failed and the astronauts died on the moon. Deepfakes are video forgeries that make people appear to be doing or saying things they aren't. Deepfake software has made manipulating uh, manipulated videos accessible and increasingly harder to detect as fake. Do we have? Uh, do we get some audio? Do we have some audio of this? Uh, so it's a deepfake video that's been put out uh, on uh, you know online by uh, MIT to show just how how uh, dangerous these things can be so this is a, a, a this is obviously deep fake video um, above President Nixon announcing this good evening my fellow Americans fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery. But they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal the search for truth and understanding. They will be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by their nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. They will be mourned by a mother earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. So, um, did they, did they, uh, say who's doing nixon's voice there it was just a just a voice actor okay just a, just an actor doing nixon's voice um and i find the voice fairly convincing yeah you know if i heard that in passing i'd say oh is that nixon but what really i think folks need to be re what you need to be really aware of is how well the mouth matches the words mm -hmm. and how realistic it looks and uh, what's really kind of unsettling is that that's an actual speech that Nixon had wrote but never delivered. So there, there's a kind of curiosity that now we can bring to life in a way a historical event that never happened. But could it, it's like an alternate history 
You know, if the moon land, if the Apollo 11 mission was unsuccessful, we would have seen that. That's what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But it never did. This is just weird. Um, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Have you seen these uh, deep fake videos? And uh, are you? Is it? Does it worry you that they can manipulate reality? Is that is that something that you're that concerns you? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Three one two. Uh, nine eight one seven two hundred. Deep fake videos. Do they? Uh, do they kind of? Uh, do they? Do, do they? Do they bother you? If you've seen them. Um, it took a half a year for Massachusetts Institute of Technology AI experts to create the very convincing seven-minute deepfake video that mixes actual NASA footage with Nixon delivering a tragic speech as though Apollo 11 had not succeeded in its mission to the moon. Artificial intelligence deep learning technology was used to make Nixon's voice and facial movements convincing. convincing. The contingency speech, which can be found in the National Archives, was read aloud by an actor. MIT Center for Advanced Virtuality created a new project called In Event of Moon Disaster, which launched on Monday to show uh, people the dangerous influence that deepfake videos can have on an unsuspecting public. This marks the first time the Nixon Apollo 11 deepfake video is being presented to the public in its entirety following a physical art installation at MIT in the fall of 2019. In Event of Moon Disaster is an impressive art project inviting you into an alternate history, asking us to consider how new technologies can bend, redirect um, uh, the truth around us. The project's website said, by creating this alternative history, the project explores the influences and pervasiveness of misinformation and deepfake technologies in our contemporary society. Um, an event of moon disaster aims not only to help people be to be better understanding of deep fakes, but also explain how deep fakes are made and how they work, how to spot a deep fake, their potential use and misuse, and what's being done to combat uh, deep fakes and misinformation. The project was supported by a grant from Mozilla's Creative Media Awards, uh, which build on Mozilla's mission to realize more trustworthy AI in consumer technology. Uh, it's, it's just uh, technology is sometimes... Uh, kind of a really scary thing, and these deep fake videos are are they're pretty disturbing, actually, uh, especially something along this line. So, um, are you are you at all concerned by uh, these videos um, on the internet? Um, and uh, how do you spot them as a as a being a deep fake? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Um, yeah. They're uh, they're pretty big on the internet. People, you know, they're all over the place now. So uh, here's Ike on WGN. Go ahead, Ike. Hey, Nick, how's it going with you, man? All right, what's up? Yeah, you know, uh, it really worries me. As a matter of fact, I believe it's happening now because you know that the media has been manipulated for years, and I and I believe this is the next step. And you know what? I just watched the movie. They live about a few uh, a day, just the other day, and John Carpenter was kind of what kind of it was right about one thing. It was it's a documentary of what's going on right now. Well, John, that movie was way ahead of its time, way yeah. way ahead of its time. Um, and, and yeah, it's as it's 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 as po- it's, it's pointed now as it ever was. There's no question about it. So absolutely. All right, thanks, Ike. No problem. Yeah, yeah you know. Uh. They Live came out 
in the fall of 1988, right before the election, and Carpenter did that on purpose. Um, and now you watch They Live. You watch some other movies too, like Idiocracy is is uh, is <laughs> is you know pretty close to what reality at this point. Um, so yeah, it's it's a weird time, man. It's just a weird time. And these deep fake videos are just uh, some of them are really. How many have you have you have you seen? Uh, an increasing number. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously there's a difference between ones that are for pure enjoyment. You know, some of them are just kind of kind of fun in order to put a you know twist a head on something like the Shining Jim Carrey one. Yeah. Like, and they identify themselves. They make themselves yeah. known. They say, "Hey, this, this is, is a deep me. fake. Yeah, this, this is, is me trying fake. to yeah. mess around with this. Have a little fun. Do a little bit of a remix. Nothing wrong with that. I want to make that perfectly clear. Just using that technology for interesting kind of art and stuff to mess around with is perfectly fine. It's when you get uh, videos pushed online that are meant to confuse or meant to yeah. discredit and. Right. When you can no longer trust what you're seeing in, you know, this is this is our main media source in a lot of ways is, is yeah. what we see online. Uh, when you can no longer trust that, how can you trust anything? Well, I mean, especially now, because people are filled with anxiety and don't know what to what to trust. Um, so um, here's William on WGN. Hey, William. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't like the idea of fake. Well, I guess you could call it fake news if they want to call it that. Um, yeah. yeah. They call, call it, it deep, deep fakes. fakes. Right. Uh, I used to do documentaries, and the main thing we had to make sure is what we saw was real. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. All right, All right well, well, thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks William. William. You're welcome. All right, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. And they're uh, they're 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 sort of bigger than ever now. Um, Business Insider wrote a piece about it. From porn to Game of Thrones, how deep fakes and realistic looking fake videos hit it big. And uh, we'll talk about this article. And if you want to jump in with your thoughts, it's three one two nine eight one seven two hundred three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Join us with your thoughts on uh, on the deep fake videos three one two nine eight one seven two hundred right here on WGN. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are uh, live in the Skyline studio, uh, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago here until 4 o'clock. Um, coming up, we're going to talk about uh, lemonade stands, and we're going to talk about some uh, very strange uh, TV theories, fan TV theories. And uh, Know Your Onion coming up at 3.30, and at 2.30, classic Carson clips. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on uh, every night on Attend TV, and we'll uh, get some vintage Bill Maher stand-up from 1982. That's all coming up, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. So we're talking about deep fake videos. Um, they're videos that have been manipulated to make it look like the subject is realistically saying or doing something that they didn't. 
uh, and they've officially entered the mainstream. Um, and uh, we, we want your thoughts on this. 312-981-7200. Here's Sean on WGN. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, Nick, love your show, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's very disturbing, this whole fake, uh, deep fake stuff. It, you know, we need, to, we need to come together as Americans, not divide. And that's all this stuff is doing, especially the political ones. Yeah. But, but the football ones are funny. You ever watch those? The fo- oh, God. No, the football Hilarious. ones? No, I've not seen those. The football voiceovers? Oh, they'll, they'll die laughing. Oh, okay. But yeah, it, it, these deep fake things, you know, technology can be a curse, and this is one of them. Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, I, I agree with you, Sean. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Nick. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. I think I know what Sean's talking about. Uh, They're called bad lip readings. Okay. And uh, they have – it's a a group of people that go on and they take footage from various things. They'll do TV shows, movies, but they do football ones. And what they try to do is do a bad lip reading. So they're watching actual footage – but they provide their own audio pretending to be, you know, Tom Brady or something like that. And they make, they say ridiculous things that roughly match the lip movements. So they look accurate. Mm. Okay. But those are intended for comedic purposes. Comedic purposes, obviously. Um, so in this article, Business Insider, in 2019, fake videos of, um, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, and Game of Thrones character Jon Snow went viral and inspired responses from some of the most powerful people in the world. The mode of manipulation and deep fakery uh, as a pastime was seemingly popularized around pornography, in which denizens of certain online communities would swap celebrity faces with those found in porn. So they were putting celebrity faces on on the performers, yeah. Oh, wow. Now, following early warnings in 2017 around the initial deep fake movement, the nightmare scenario has become a reality as some of the most influential people in the world and their audiences have become targets of deep fakers. Um, This is how deep fakes catapulted into the mainstream consciousness and a look at what's actually at stake when considering the rise of fake video. The term deep fake originated from a Reddit user who claims to have developed a machine learning algorithm that helped him transpose celebrity faces into porn videos. Deep fakes, as we know them, first started to gain attention in December of 2017 after Vice's Samantha Cole published a piece for Motherboard on AI-manipulated porn that appeared to feature Wonder Woman actress uh, Gal Gadot. Uh, the videos took on the unique name due to their prolific Reddit user called Deep Fakes, who published a series of fake celebrity porn videos and was the subject of the Vice piece. The videos were significant because they marked the first notable instance of a single person who was able to easily and quickly create high-quality and convincing fake videos. Um, according to Cole, who spoke... To deep fakes, they used open source machine learning tools like TensorFlow, which Google makes freely available to researchers, graduate students, and anyone with an interest in machine learning. Um, attempts to superimpose celebrity or other faces onto porn wasn't something new, but the mode, speed, and seeming simplicity of the process was. According to AI researcher Alex Champenard, who spoke device, 
The process of creating a deep fake could take just a few hours with a consumer grade graphics card. Deep fakes also have the potential to differ in quality from previous efforts to superimpose faces on other bodies. A good deep fake created by AI that has been trained on hours of footage has been specifically generated for its context with seamless mouth and head movements to appropriate colorization. Um, the simply superimposing a head onto a body and animating by hand can lead to uh, dead context mismatches. Wow. So the technology is out there and people are using it. What are some of the what are some of the the, the more I guess viewed is there is there like a is there something on the on the internet can you google like most watched deep fakes most watched deep fake videos Um and if you want to jump in what are your thoughts on this 312-981-7200 technology being used poorly Well you've got one from using uh SNL and uh Vladimir Putin because um, it looks like Beck Bennett was either portraying Vladimir Putin or doing a sketch on him, mm-hmm. and someone decided to put Vladimir Putin's actual face on it and make it look like it was him in this ridiculous sketch. But, of course, it's still Beck Bennett's voice. Right. So they put... Okay, that's, that's, that's a, 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 I guess, a popular one. Putting the actual Vladimir Putin on uh, Beck Bennett's head. And uh, manipulating it that way. Um, The video sparked concern about potential future uses uh, and the technology and its ethics. That's a good point. Immediately at issue was the question of consent. More alarming was the potential for blackmail, the application of the technology to those in power. Uh, in 2017, months before pornography deepfakes surfaced, a team of researchers at the University of Washington made headlines when they released a video of a computer-generated Barack Obama speaking old audio or video clips. At the time, the risks uh, around often spread misinformation was clear, and it seemed far off given the academic researchers producing the videos. The consumer-level creations added an alarming urgency to the risks at hand. In January of uh, 2018, shortly after the pornographic deepfake surfaced, Fake App, a desktop application for deepfake creation, became available for download. The software was originally being peddled by a user called Deepfake App on Reddit and used Google's TensorFlow framework, the same tool used by Reddit users, uh, Deepfakes. The readily available technology helped boost the dedicated deep fakes um, uh, shredded that sprung out following the sprung up following the uh, original deep fakes vice article. Those who used the software, which was linked and explained in the uh, in the subreddit, shared their own creations and comment on others. Most of it was reportedly pornographic. But other videos were lighter-hearted, featuring random movie scenes in which actor uh, swapped in Nicolas Cage's face. So they put Cage on a whole bunch of uh, on a whole bunch of things, right? I just think that's a good idea. If we could, uh, I think that'd be a noble use of this technology is to put Nicolas Cage into everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've also got one of uh, 
Steve Buscemi's face over Jennifer Lawrence's at the Golden Globes. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's it's truly uncanny. It is truly uncanny. Um, all right. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We're talking about deep fake videos that are all over the internet and uh, their potential for uh, for damage, quite frankly. Uh, in late January 2018, Vice ran a follow-up piece identifying instances of deep fakes made with the faces people allegedly knew from high school and other venues and possibly revenge porn. The pornography was seemingly in a gray area of revenge porn laws, given that the video wasn't actual recording of real people, but something closer to mashups. The identified posts were found on Reddit and the chat app Discord. Following the revelation, numerous platforms, including Twitter Discord uh, and Pornhub, explicitly banned deepfakes in associated communities. Um, they are using AI detection methods in order to proactively police deep fakes. Reddit waited until February 2018 to ban the deep fakes, subreddit, and update its policies to broadly ban pornographic deep fakes. So this all started like at the end of 2017. And uh, the technology has only gotten easier to get, right? Uh, yeah, we just actually had a listener call, and you can stay on the line. Uh, but Ralph wanted to mention there's an app that or a website that most people can use called Crazy Talk that allows you to um, you know animate people's voices and stuff like that. I don't know how uh, close you could get to some of these because they are admittedly very convincing. Um, but that sort of technology is is readily available for people to use, Jeez. and that's kind of the weird part of the whole thing. Scary stuff, man. When you think about it. Uh, in April 2018, BuzzFeed published a frighteningly realistic video that went viral of Barack Obama deepfake that it had commissioned. Unlike the University of Washington video, Obama was made to say words that weren't his own. The, wor- uh, the, the video was made by a single person using fake app, which reportedly took 56 hours to scrape and aggregate a model of Obama. While it was transparent about being a deep fake, it was a warning shot for the dangerous potential of the technology. Yeah. Uh, 312-981-7200. Facebook has recently been forced to grapple with what to do with these deep fakes. Following BuzzFeed's disturbingly realistic Obama deep fake, instances of manipulated videos of high-profile subjects began to go viral, seemingly fooling millions of people. Despite most of the videos being even more crude than deepfakes, using rudimentary film editing rather than an AI, the video sparked sustained concern about the power of deepfakes and other forms of video manipulation, while forcing technology companies to take a stance on what to do about the content. What can we do about it? You have to put some sort of restrictions on it? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you police this? Um, 312-981-7200. The internet is sometimes a very scary place, you know? People can do whatever they want. So, and especially when the technology is just so easy. I mean, it took 56 hours for this one person to, one person to do the Obama video. Just one person. What are your thoughts on this? Deepfake videos, 312-981-7200. Let's go to the news. 
Hey, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the uh, Skyline studio. Here till 4. Uh, coming up at 2.30, we always play uh, Carson comedy clips. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. Uh, and we're going to hear some uh, stand-up from Bill Maher from 1982. It's Wednesday, so that means at 3.30 we do a Know Your Onion. We get two uh, callers on the line. They each play around, and uh, what happens is Tom will read a news headline, and you have to figure out whether it's real or from the onion. Uh, 312-981-7200. That's our number on the Team Hochberg phone line. We're going to have also some uh, some weird uh, TV theories, fan TV theories to talk about. So, uh, Tom, you didn't do well with your lemonade stand. I did not. Uh, got maybe one customer ever. One? Yeah. <laughs> so you just sat outside, just sitting there? Yeah, I drink a lot of my own product. I got high on my own supply, as yeah. they say. Um, but I figured, you know, it seems like such the American summer, you know? Kids out there sign lemonade, five cents. Right. Or a quarter, I guess. Maybe that was it. I was charging like a quarter. I don't know if that was too high for a lemonade. I don't know. I can't remember what I was charging. My, <laughs> I don't remember what my business overhead was. I can't remember what I was charging for uh, the couple times I had a lemonade stand. But I put it right out in front of our, our, our apartment on the sidewalk, right in front of the porch on Addison. Right there at the at the brown line, right next to the brown line. So there's a lot of foot traffic. Now, you mentioned a guy he tried to haggle he with He did. Him. He tried to haggle with me. I can't remember what I was charging, but he was like, uh, what if I give you... And he, I, I don't know. I mean, if, maybe I was charging a quarter, and he was yeah. like, what if I give you a dime? Like, you're haggling with a nine-year-old <laughs> over a, a, you know, a cup of lemonade? Uh, 312-981-7200. Did you ever have a uh, a lemonade stand as a kid? And uh, was there some other way? Did you did you have any, did you have like a what was it? Uh, what's the what is a uh, Lucy having peanuts oh, again? She's a, she's a therapist. Therapist. The doctor yeah. is in. Yeah, that would have been an interesting uh, endeavor. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. If you were a kid, did you have a lemonade stand? How'd you do with it? Some kids do very very well with their lemonade stands, but they get extra help from their folks. You know. I say, if you're going to do a lemonade stand, you got to do it all by yourself. I did, and you made that. You made the lemonade. I yourself? made the lemonade myself. Yeah. Now, what what did you make the stand out of? Did you have to? I had a card table. Okay, card table. Yeah, for, with the fold out legs. Mm-hmm. You know, your basic uh, card table. What'd you use for the sign? I just drew a lemonade and whatever the price was. I don't remember. I just it said the word lemonade, and I scotch taped it to the to the front of the uh, card okay. table. So it wasn't the best-looking lemonade stand. I didn't actually build an entire stand. <laughs> you didn't get the power tools out? No, it was just a card table with a stack of, of cups and a pitcher of lemonade. Do you remember what what brand? It would have been like Country Time? Or I something? don't remember. It probably was Country Time. Isn't Country Time the, the biggest brand of lemonade? It's, it's the gold standard, I'd say, yeah. in terms of uh, 
you know, powdered lemonade mix. Yeah. So I th- I'm pretty sure it was probably it was probably country time. Did you ever have a lemonade stand? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. And what was your, if you didn't have a lemonade stand, did you have anything else that you made money at when you were a kid? So, um, how about this? A drink mix company is offering a quote-unquote bailout for entrepreneurs in the seasonal industry hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic, the lemonade stand. Country Time announced the Littlest Bailout Program will distribute $100 checks to kids under the age of 14 whose lemonade stand plans were foiled by the COVID-19 crisis. 100 bucks is a lot of money for a kid under 14. Yeah, man. You know? Um, we know this will be a rough summer for lemonade stands, and if the big guys are getting bailed out, why shouldn't we help the littlest entrepreneurs Get the same treatment, Country Time said on the program's website. Would-be lemonade stand entrepreneurs are being asked to submit an essay about how they would spend their bailout money along with a photo of the sign that they would have used for their abortive stands. Applications for the bailout checks are being accepted through August 14th. So get your uh, essay going. Get your picture taken. Send it off. And... uh Country Time's going to send $100 checks to uh, to kids under 14. I thought this was a joke. It's not. This is real. This is a real thing. Did you ever do anything else as a kid to earn money? Did you mow lawns? God, I'm trying to think of what I... I, I used to babysit. I used to babysit a you bit. You would babysit? Yeah. You know, I had one of those unspoken agreements with my folks where it was like you know i had two younger brothers i didn't have an allowance um that wasn't really a thing in my house i just did chores because i was supposed to yeah but there's an unspoken agreement that you know as long as i did my chores and helped take care of my brothers when my parents needed me to if i wanted to go to the movies or something on a friday night they would just you know spot me the money um, like, all right you did you did what you need to do this week and go out do your thing i did not mow lawns because like in my neighborhood there weren't really yeah, any lawns no lawns to speak of yeah we had a lawn in our backyard we had a big backyard next to that was like next to the house and there was an apartment building behind us so there were two properties one was in the you know the there was, it was a three flat in the rear and then we were in the in the front two flat in the front um but i did uh, shovel snow when i was a kid you know, go up to the house, I mean, that's knock on the door. Hey, I'll shovel your walk for you. And I did that. I did that. I actually did that a lot. What I, was the going rate on I that? I don't remember. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. Buck, maybe? Buck to shovel your snow? I don't, I don't even know. This is a long time ago. This was like sure. in the 70s. Right. So, but uh, yeah. How did you earn money when you were a kid? I also had a paper route when I was a kid. Uh, 312-981-7200. Did you ever have a, you ever have a, um, a lemonade stand? And and, uh, how did you earn some money? And I also have a story about here that, uh, lemonade stands are illegal in most of the United States. I didn't know that. So 312-981-7200. 
Uh, if you uh, want to join us, we would love to hear from you. What did you do to earn money when you were uh, when you were just a kid? Did you have a lemonade stand, any of that other stuff? Mow lawns, shovel walks? 312-981-7200. More coming up right here on WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN uh, here until uh, 4, 312-981-7200. So we're talking about how did you uh, make money when you were a kid? We were, starting off here was the lemonade stand. Did you ever have a lemonade stand? Did you mow lawns? Did you shovel walks? How did you make money as a kid? 312-981-7200. Here's Darlene on WGN. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's uh, up? I- I just want to share a story. My brother was out a few years ago. He and his wife were in a small town in Woodstock, and uh, he was doing missionary work. Well, his wife was visiting with the lady of the house, and he noticed down the road in front of the house the little boy had a stand, a, a lemonade stand. So he said, I want to get out of my car and give the little guy some business since it was a dirt road going to nowhere, you know. So he gets out, and he goes over, and he says to the little boy, he said, you know, I'm not crazy about lemonade. Do you have anything else for sale? He says, sure, I've got some homemade popsicles here. And my brother, he said, I'll have one of those. So he looked at the popsicle, my brother said. He said, you know, this is the widest stick I've ever seen on a popsicle. He said, it almost reminds me of a tongue suppressor. And the little boy said, he says, it is. My mommy works right down the road at the veterinarians. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he was getting his, his popsicle sticks from the veterinarian, yeah. and it was it was just a cute story I yeah. wanted to share. Oh, yeah. That's pretty funny. Okay, thanks, Darlene. Have a great evening. Okay, we love you. Thank you. Bye. Uh, a tongue depressor. Using a tongue depressor to make your popsicles. <laughs> 312 981 Seven two hundred. Uh, how did you make some money when you were a kid? Uh, let's see. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Doug on WGN. Hey, Doug. Hey, how you doing? Great show. Yes, it brings back memories of when I grew up as a military brat. Sixty two. I had a paper boy uh, job on my American Huffy. I I threw papers to generals. Uh, my one of my brothers dated the general's daughter, and they got in a big old fight. Uh, also, I set bowling balls at 10 cents a line, and I caddied a golf course for all the colonels. They gave me 10 cents uh, a hole. This is back in 62. <laughs> yeah. Caddying, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people who've done that. All right, Doug, thanks. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, caddying. I, you know, I knew, I, knew, I, knew, I knew some of my friends did the caddying during the summer. And making some extra dough doing that. Uh, how you earned money when you were a kid? 312-981-7200. Here's Aaron on WGN. Hey, Aaron. What's going on? Hey. Good evening. So, uh, yeah, I I was actually an umpire in Mount Prospect. And the funny story was uh, it was the playoffs. And uh, here I am as a, you know, young lad, um, 
with all of these parents that were just super excited to see their kids in the playoffs, the only umpire out there and just getting yelled at for yeah, every single call. I bet. I mean, it was it was stressful, but I guess I made money and I uh, I, I was living large at that point. Yeah, but it was it was super stressful. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 incredible how seriously a lot of the parents take the little league you know it's just it's a bunch of little kids just playing baseball just let them play kids the parents go nuts parents go nuts i i I still i still like have tremors till this day watching little league games and remembering that i was just getting yelled at in every direction yeah and i couldn't i couldn't call the best you know, call strike ball or out. It was just always bipartisan. It yeah. was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. All right. I'm glad you survived it, Aaron. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being an ump uh, uh, for a little league. Little league game. I was a uh, I was a soccer referee for a time, so well, I, can, that's right. I can really feel Aaron's sort of pain there. Yeah, you're just trying to do your job. It's just it's just so you know. I mean, I don't know why parents take it so seriously. I. I I have no idea. I had a guy charge me on a feet on the field. I was sixteen, and a grown a grown ass man yeah came up to me on the field to yell at me, and I took you know I took it in stride you know I stood there I listened and I said sir do you realize that you are screaming at a minor yeah at a twelve year old soccer game yeah and he was very much in- I was I told him i said look at the people look at the people around you right now who do they think is being crazier me or you and he just he walked away ta- you know tail between his legs yeah because really that's what it comes down to who looks crazier right now oh no it's me it, it, I, i've i've you know i remember incidents of little league um with um you know parents going nuts particularly fathers and uh it's just like if you're nine you kid your kid's like nine years old I know. Just out there playing a little baseball, and uh-huh. then you're screaming at umpires and yelling at other parents. Why? They're all, and most of the time, those umpires are also pretty young guys. Yeah. Maybe the oldest college age for yeah. some of these little leaguers. Yeah. My dad used to really embarrass me, though. He would lose his mind. He Why? Go, he got sent to the cars multiple times. <laughs> he had to go sit in the car. <laughs> Could be on because he would insult the ref. Yeah. And uh, there was. There was one time he he got he got in big trouble. He wasn't allowed to come back for multiple games because he said to the kid, oh, he said to the kid, he was it was this kid who had like pretty long hair and he was wearing shades while he was refereeing, which to be fair you can't do. You need, yeah. you need to put you know put your hand up, you know make it don't wear sunglasses. But he yells at the kid like he made it, he did make a bad call. But he yells at the kid. He says, "Hey, who'd you go to high school with, Helen Keller?" <laughs> and I was like, "Dad, you can't say that, man!" Yeah. And he's screaming at this guy. He tells him to ref tells him to beat it. Yeah, he storms off to the car. He's like, "I can't believe that ref." I was like, "We can't believe you, Dad. What is that?" Yeah, <clears throat> that's a good line though. Yeah, For it's, an it's very it's very mean, but yeah. it's a good one. Uh, 312-981-7200. We're going back to your childhood. Um, how'd you make money? Did you ever have a lemonade stand? Did you deliver the paper? Did you shovel the walks? Did you mow the lawns? How'd you make money when you were a kid? 312-981-7200. Here's Janice on WGN. Hi, Janice. Hi. Hi. Nick, do you remember when BJ Dirty Dragon 
offered um, like a packet if you were to have a carnival for oh, yeah. uh, muscular dystrophy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that. I mean, my mom and dad didn't help me at all, and I can remember going to a Sears store and dragging 12 refrigerator boxes across the two-lane highway and down two blocks to my house, and I used these refrigerator um, boxes to create, like, a fun house. Wow. And the kids would come, and they would climb through the fun, fun house, and then I would have... Um, Games and prizes and uh, food and things like that. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. I think in return they sent you, like, oh, it must have been, like, a packet with maybe a sign or... Yeah, no, I did, um, it. I did it one time, Janice. I did it one time. Did you? Yeah, for muscular yeah, dystrophy. I figured, yeah, I figured you'd remember that. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big thing. It was fun. Yeah. yeah, it was. And then they would... I'm not sure if they did it more than, over more than one summer or not, but that was... That was fun. Yeah, and and I, I just one of the reasons why. I mean, Janice, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know how much I, I adore Jerry Lewis. Like, right, one, me too. <laughs> one of one of my heroes and one of the funniest people that ever lived. Um, and I would watch the uh, telethon every Labor Day. I would watch it oh, cool. every Labor cool. Day. And so uh, when I heard that they were, you know, that that you could do this, you could have like a carnival to to. You know, to benefit uh, MDA. Oh, um, I had it uh, for sure. I, I only did it one time. Um, because I yeah. lived, in, I lived, you know, like on a, you know, like I said, uh, Janice, I grew up on right on Addison Street. Okay, you know what I mean. So it's a little, def- you know, it's a little weird to have like a carnival on <laughs> on Addison as opposed to like in a neighborhood where everybody knows each other and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, no, I absolutely remember that. And they did. They sent you signage and uh, to help you out. They sent you a whole packet, uh, you know, of, of of stuff. Yeah. That was yeah, cool. It must have been like the early seventies. That's or so, exa- exactly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, that was yeah. fun. I, I just I totally forgot that I did that. And uh, but yeah, um, yeah. So that was that was that was cool. And uh, yeah, I would always get thrilled because Jerry Lewis would mention the carnivals on air. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, and he'd be like, "We'd like to thank the kids who had the carnivals," and then they would show like footage from some of the you know from some of the carnivals from across the country. Uh, oh, neat. And it was yeah, and it was I always I always found that exciting. So. That's great, cool. Janice. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Bye-bye. take care. How'd you earn money when you were a kid? 312-981-7200. And I have a news story here that says that um, lemonade stands illegal in most states. <laughs> Which, of course, is absurd. But, uh, yeah, lemonade stands are illegal. So, if you're... And but uh, you know it's if you're not going to be able to really do a lemonade stand uh, uh, this summer. But all right, how'd you earn your money when you were a kid? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred more on seven twenty WGN. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock. Uh, we were talking about lemonade stands, and I've got a story here, but they're they're illegal in most of the United States. But we had lemonade stands when we were kids, and then I wanted to ask how you uh, made some money when you were a kid. You know, the old lemonade stand, the old uh, mowing the lawns, that kind of stuff. 312-981-7200. 
is the number. Uh, let's say hello to Doc. Hey, Doc. Hey, Nick. Yeah. Hey, Tom. Tom should have told that parent that charged him. Hey, buddy. There's a reason my friends call me the Bismarck. Because watch who you're messing with. <laughs> yeah, try to push me over, man. Yeah, that's right. The Bismarck. Hey, when I was a kid, uh, we lived uh, out in the boonies on the edge of Kansas City, uh, two lane road. And uh, I grew up back in the days of returnable bottles. So oh, one yeah. thing we used to go go out and walk the highway and pick up bottles. They were either two cents, three cents, or uh, yeah. five cents for quarts. So we made a lot of money doing that. Uh, my dad was a sheet metal worker, installed the furnaces and air conditioning and new homes, old homes. But when he was doing new apartment complexes, we would take turns and we would go out and we would just walk around the different buildings and pick up wire and uh, pieces of copper that the plumbers left behind, anything copper, and then sell used copper. Uh, and you can make quite a bit still to this day. Copper yeah. draws a good price. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we lived out at the bottom of a hill up against the woods, and about 80% of the trees were walnuts. And we used to go out and pick up walnuts, come up, dump them on the edge of the driveway. And if you've ever seen a fresh walnut, it's got a big green soft hole on the outside of the shell it takes a while for that to dry out and fall off so we just put them on the driveway and then we would take them down to the local farmer's market and sell packs half bushels and bushels of walnuts wow there you go and wow. could i get uh talk about the legality thing just a little bit yeah sure you know i've worked royals games chiefs games final four event work single day event work and, you know, there are people responsible for certifying even single-day event-type event concessions. So, uh, And I've had to take, you know, one-day food handlers course. They really should make a, a mini course for kids, but you could still get sick from a kid's lemonade stand. And, let, you know, these kids are running in the house, use the bathroom, not wash their hands, come out, fill up your cup with ice, you know, yeah. whatever. So they could do a mini course. Uh, just some basic things about it, and then find out that somebody's supervising the kids. And one year we had this brilliant idea we'd sell hot dogs at our garage sale. Literally had to get a permit for that. Couldn't sell both hamburgers and hot dogs. I could sell 10 kinds of hot dogs. Had to have a permit posted on the outside of the house, visible from the street. And we got inspected uh, to see what we were going to do about hand washing and, and, food handling and, and this and that sort of thing. So I'm all for seeing to it that they, they don't get anybody sick, but uh, they could do a little bit to help the kids along. Yeah. Okay. hundred bucks. Pretty unbelievable. Isn't that, yeah. A hundred bucks. Man. That's, uh, you know, I, a kid could have a, have a lemonade stand every weekend and not make that kind of money. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay, Doc, thanks. All right. Good show. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Hundred bucks. That's still, that's a, that's a nice amount of that's the country times putting out a nice amount of money for these kids. Yeah, think of all the jawbreakers you could buy with a hundred bucks, man. Yeah. But uh, the question remains: Who judges the essays? It's just like the the executives at Country Time, the CEO of Country Time. He reads all the essays and decides Personally. who gets the hundred dollars. Yeah, he's you know listen, he's in charge of a big company. This is part of his responsibility. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to be signing those checks. All right. How did you make money when you were a kid? 312-981-7200. Here's uh, Brian on WGN. Hi, Brian. Hey, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Hey, uh, I didn't do any uh, lemonade stands when I in my youth, if you will. Uh, I was mainly a uh, paper out guy. Yeah. 
and I, I lived on the south southeast side. It was basically a small route, maybe twenty to twenty eight houses, if you will. You know, both sides of the streets. And what my main intentions too, when I like first got that paper out in like eighty eighty one, so I'd have been about ten eleven, and that way I wanted to save my money so I can buy a nineteen inch color TV so I can play Atari. Ah, so you wanted to play Atari. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty good. Uh, I had a decent route, if you will. There were certain people, like 108.30, that lady would get a a Tribune and a Cal. And she was like a big tipper. She was like really cool. 108.15, he'd get a Sun-Times and Cal. But you had to put the papers in his back door for him. He was Uh real cool. You know, so I did have some pretty cool people. A couple of, uh, one lady, she did have a nice German Shepherd, but it was actually really mean. So I did have a nice route. There was one time... You get the the way the news agency was, if you pay your bill on time, you got reward points, if you will, and then he would take you to Gaty's for ice cream, or they would have chicken dinners at the newspaper stand for the holidays. Mm. Okay. But there, was, but there was one time where, actually it was a week, I kind of got yelled at by the news agency, if you will. The reason why I got yelled at, they had the Planet of the Apes, the TV uh, movies on Monday through Friday yeah. on Channel 7. Ape Week. Uh, they shrunk them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they shrunk the uh, movies down, and my naturally the papers got delivered late for my customers. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. All right, Brian, thanks. <laughs> All right, thanks, Nick. Yeah, Good night. Care. You can't miss Ape Week. Yeah, man. You got to love Ape Week. Especially once you get, what's the one with Ricardo Montalban? Is that Conquest? Is that Conquest? Yeah. All right, yeah. If you ask me, that's my favorite one. That's my second favorite. The first one's. I mean, the first one's the first one. Yeah, but I love the one with Ricardo. The, the one that yeah, Conquest is great. It's it is great. Um, the thing about uh, the thing about the, the about Ape Week was that was hilarious. Was that it was the the three thirty movie? They would have the three thirty movie on 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 uh, Channel Seven every every weekday, and then it would end at five, and the news would start at five. So it was a 90-minute time slot uh, with a, a great portion of commercials. The first Planet of the Apes movie is like two hours and ten minutes long. They would cut the hell out of those movies when they did Ape Week. It was like you're watching maybe half of the original Planet of the Apes. Listen, all I'm going to say, I, I would just need to get this part of it. You maniac! Yeah, classic. All right. Uh, how'd you earn your money when you were a kid? Here's Gene on WGN. Go ahead, Gene. Hi, um, my sister and I, we used to make homemade potholders, and then we'd take the younger one with us. It, it was in the suburbs. We'd go door to door, take the younger one with us, and we'd have her knock and ask, would you like to buy potholders? And everybody thought she was so cute. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's good. So you brought that along. That was your, that was your secret. Did you sell a lot of potholders? Yeah, I actually still use some of them. It's crazy. I'm 72 years old, but I still have them. Wow. Those are good potholders then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Thanks, Gene. Okay. Thank you. Okay. 312 981 7200. What did you do when you were a kid to, to make a little dough? That's pretty unique, making potholders. Potholders? Going door to door selling potholders? Did you ever have to do fundraising for your school? Um,. No, not really. But we did do the 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 candy drive. 
where you would, you would go door to door and try to sell candy. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a popular one. Yeah, I was. I'm not. I'm not a good salesperson. I could never be in sales. You know, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is just such a uncomfortable play and movie for always, me. That, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's it's three three words. Always be yeah. closing. A B C. Always ABC. be closing. Nick DiGiulio, that's my name. Or always be cobbling as the <laughs> the sketch that they did, the, yeah. the Christmas sketch that they did on SNL. Glenn with Gary, Alec Glenn Kloss. It was fantastic. Uh, all right, here's uh, Robert on WGN. Hey, Robert. Hey, morning, Nick. Yeah. Um, I wanted a 68 Schwinn Banana Bite Stingray. So I asked my grandfather if he would buy it for me. He brought me in the garage, showed me a lawnmower, showed me how to mow the lawn, and he showed me the blocks. And he goes, go door to door and knock on doors and get them to... So I mowed lawns, shoveled snow, got the taste of money, and then I got a paper route, Mm -hmm. Chicago Tribune. And they give you a big-ass cart. With a steel tire, it yep. wasn't rubber. It was a steel tire. I had the same thing, thing, Robert. Made... I had the same thing I had when I when oh. I had a route, and it made so much noise. I mean, so much noise. Yeah, five o'clock oh. in the you're five o'clock in the morning. You're going down a side street with this with this old cart with the metal wheels and waking up all the neighbors. Oh, and, and can you imagine that today? Letting your ten year old kid first of all go out four in the morning, right? And four in the morning, the only thing that's out is drunks. Yep. So, and, and but but the, do you remember the noise? It was just it was horrific. incredibly loud. It was a big wooden cart with metal wheels, and you would push it down the you would push it down the street to deliver the papers. And you now, my friends who were much wealthier than me were like, so you got the papers, then you had to bag the papers. That's right. And if it was raining, you had a double bag of papers, and then you went out in the rain, and you delivered that for the money that you got. So when I finally got my bicycle, it was well-earned. Yeah, I know. I've, uh, the paper route thing, and then don't forget, I, and, you know, if you're working on a Sunday uh, on the paper route, you get to stuff the oh. papers. You had to stuff oh, them. Oh, my God, those things were huge. Yeah, you had to stuff them. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, those were the days. All right, Robert, thanks. Okay, take care, man. Yeah, yeah no, there's big wooden carts that you would push down the down the street with these metal wheels and it would be like 4:30 in the morning you know you're going down the going down the thing delivering the papers sound like a techno song it was ridiculous it was ridiculous and uh i had a pretty good route and the 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 storefront that they used to keep the papers where we would stuff the papers and wrap them and stuff like that where they keep them they would keep the carts and all that stuff was on Lincoln Avenue, um, just south of uh, a few blocks uh, south of Irving. So it was a storefront, and that's where the paper route started. So when we would finish the paper route, we'd all like bring our carts back to that storefront. And every every Sunday, we would eat at um, at the Lincoln uh, at the Lincoln Diner at Irving and uh, at Irving and Lincoln. Fantastic, the Lincoln. We would eat at the Lincoln after every after every time. Okay, let's take a let's take a quick break here. Uh, hold on, we got some people on the line. Couple lines open. If you want to jump in, what did you do uh, when you were a kid to earn some dough? 
Is one of my favorite uh, SCTV sketches of all time. Uh, Rick Moranis as Michael McDonald. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio. And uh, we're here until 4 o'clock. Uh, at 2.30, we'll play back some classic uh, Carson highlights. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV every night. So we play uh, some fun clips every uh, weekday morning at 2.30. And we're going to go back to 1982 for some stand-up from Bill Maher. It's Wednesday, so that means at 3.30, we'll play a round of Know Your Onion, where we get two contestants on the line. They each play a round. Tom will read a news headline, and uh, you have to decide whether it's real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And we're also going to talk about some very strange uh, um, fan TV theories and more. Right now, uh, well, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Uh, we're talking about lemonade stands, and I have a story here that they, they are illegal in most states, so we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, if you had a lemonade stand when you were a kid, you earned a little extra dough. What'd you do when you were a kid to make some money? Shovel some walks, mow some lawns, paper route. 312-981-7200. Here's Ron on WGN. Hey, Ron. Hi, Nick. Hey. Uh, when I was real young, such, uh, in my babysitters, such, uh, I had a... Uh, a Kool-Aid stand. It was a mobile uh, Kool-Aid stand. Ooh. I put it in my uh, uh, red wagon, and such, and I went around the neighborhood. Such, uh, um, it was in Wheeling. It wasn't, you know, uh, in the suburbs. Which, uh, but uh, once I got a little bit older, such, uh, when I was a young teenager uh, or pre-teenager, such, I got uh, three paper routes. One was a shopper newspaper uh, on Wednesdays, and then I also had a morning route with the Tribune and sometimes and Daily Herald. Uh, and then uh, in the afternoon, and such, I had a, uh, a route with a uh, paper called uh, Market Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of a, a weird newspaper. Such, because they weren't able to make a go of it such, with a paid subscription. And so uh, prior to them changing uh, their format, such, uh, uh, they it split my route up. And uh, they made two small routes. And I asked if I could have both routes. Yeah, okay, fine. And uh, they, were, they were approximately both combined, which is the same size as the one route. And then they changed their format, such from a uh, uh, paid subscription uh, newspaper to a, uh, a voluntary payment. Uh, if you liked the newspaper, that you could pay for it, and such. And if you didn't, you still got it anyways. So, uh, um, and they, they used all the, the paper boys such to uh, get subscription, voluntary subscriptions. And they offered a, uh, a prize, which on the um, uh, the uh, newspaper vendor was, was called, the company was called Suburban, Suburban Boy Carriers, and he had a yacht, fifty seven foot yacht on uh, Burnham Harbor, and he offered a uh, prize for it uh, for the person that had the most uh, um, the three people with the uh, most subscriptions. Well, I I kind of conned my way into it, such because um, I had. Uh, uh, the 
two routes and uh, I combined all the voluntary subscriptions onto one uh, route to, oh. and hit zero on the other one. So uh, I was one of the uh, the winners on the on the um, for the yacht. Such and uh, my mother and myself and the other two other um, uh, uh, people such that won uh, uh, a a day on the yacht. Such we were all lounging on Burnham on this fifty seven, and at the time it was the biggest yacht in. Uh, Burnham Harbor, and we were lounging and such, and uh, I had a great time. And such, but you know that that was my childhood. Yeah. Oh, there you go. All right, Ron. Thanks. Sure. Take care. Yeah. We used to have a, a newspaper. I wonder if, uh, if people remember this in my neighborhood. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in in, uh, in the Lakeview area. Uh, we used to have an, uh, a, a a local newspaper called the Booster. Booster, yeah, it was called the Booster, and it was just like a, li- a local neighborhood paper. And um, we had a kid deliver it, and then he would come and collect the money. Like I, I can't, I don't know if it was like once a week. Yeah, once a week. He, I think at the end of the week, he would come up and collect the money. But he would deliver the Booster, and I remember I entered a little contest in the Booster to win free passes to the Milford Theater. Which was a theater over on Milwaukee Avenue. It's not obviously it's not there anymore, but it was like a second run theater. Like I think they charged like fifty cents or a buck to get in, and it was there were always double features. And I and I ended up you know, looking in the paper. Um, I think it was something about like if your name showed up in the classifieds, you were a winner, and then you can bring the paper to the office, which I think was on Lincoln Avenue, uh, the booster office. Show it to them, and then they give you passes to the Milford. And I think they made a mistake because they kept printing my name like every week, and I just kept going and getting more free passes to the Milford. This went on for a while, but yeah, the booster—that was a, a neighborhood paper. Uh, here's Karen calling from Pennsylvania. Hi, Karen. Hi. Um, so I started when I was about ten years old. I live in a farming community at the time. It's getting all grown up now. But uh had a friend at school whose dad raised tomatoes. Okay. And it all gets the tomatoes come ready, and my brother and I go ride our bikes, or I rode my horse over to the neighbor's farm, and we pick tomatoes. And our goal for the day was $10. Ten dollars to pick tomatoes. Yeah, ten dollars a day. That was how long we'd work. It was twenty-five cents a basket, and so we had to pick forty baskets to get our ten dollars. Jeez. And the last time that my brother and I did it together and had challenged each other that I could do more than he could do. And, you know, who'd get to the forty the $10 first, the 40 baskets? And two of us got done in a little bit over an hour, 40 baskets of tomatoes. Jeez. Wow, and that's, in, that's take, impressive. Then we take it to um, one of my brother's friends. They had a farm, and they raised potatoes. And so by October, we were picking potatoes. Um, after school. Yeah, so tomatoes and potatoes is what you did. 
Well, that's what we did until we got old enough to drive. Yeah, okay. And once I could drive, I did newspapers. Ah, there you go. Wow, worked and a lot. And there's, there's one thing about newspapers that you got to know. Just because you have a car and you're doing an in-town route and you think, oh, it's easy to hit these torches, you got to know your town. Because the reason I was able to get the job is because nobody wanted that job. And nobody wanted that job because the town is known as Glen Rock. It's set in a valley. There's seven different hills that come down into that valley. And everybody's house is built on the hill. And so to hit those porches... You had anywhere from 20 to 30 steps that you had to go up. Wow. And they weren't, they weren't built so that you could walk house to house. It went up the steps, delivered one paper, came back down and delivered another paper. Wow, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I real quick learned that my two younger sisters who were uh, eight and nine years older than, or younger than me, and had a lot of energy, wanted a job really bad, so I put him to work. Ah, all right, there you go. All right, Karen, thanks. Yep, you have a good day. All right, take care. It's a paper route from hell. Jeez. Karen worked hard for her money, like Donna Summer. Uh, here's Kathy on WGN. Hi, Kathy. Hi, how are you doing? All right, what's up? Sure, sure. Glad to listen to you on the uh, radio. Um, I'm uh, the one that uh, grew up on Narragansett and graduated from Steinmetz. Okay. So I had a job at the uh, age of 15 at Fannie Mae uh, on uh, Belmont and Central as a soda jerk. Ah, okay. They not only sold candy, but they also sold ice cream uh, creations and um, sodas and so forth. So I think that was the same block as Gold Blocks. Yeah, and it was right near the Will Rogers Theater. It, you always know the theater. Yeah, it was so right cute. near the Will Rogers Theater. Yeah. So my dad would pick me up at 9.30, and I would always save the mistakes in the freezer for him ah. <laughs> when he came and picked me up, and he was so happy to come and get me. There you go. That's great. That's <laughs> take, great. take care. We're always delighted to hear All you. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Bye-bye, dear. Bye. And here's Rich on WGN. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. What's up? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, believe it or not, I couldn't make the football team even though I'm six four. But um, so, so to watch the games, I sold hot dogs at the old Park Road Forest High School in the stadium. I sold hot dogs. You know, walked around in the high heat, yeah, and and sold hot dogs to make a few extra bucks. And talking about the guy that talked uh, about the. Um, Let's see, uh, Burnham Park Harbor. Um, we had a we had a big yacht. My dad had uh, seventy eighty footer, and we slipped number forty one. I remember listening to the Bears games from the boat, and I'm like, I should be at the game. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Yep. But you're on a yacht, so uh, like Andy Samberg. <laughs> there was an episode of King of the Hill where 
Bobby Hill had to sell uh, hot, had to sell sodas. You mean Pamela Adlon? Yeah, Pamela Adlon. Yeah, uh, she had to sell s- sodas. Yeah, at the racetrack or yeah. something like that. Hey, Rich, thanks for the call, man. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Um, so here's a quick real story here. It was a hot summer day in August of 2015 when Jerry Seinfeld, his son, and two of his son's pals decided to sell lemonade. They set up a, a shop on a stretch of grass alongside a roadside in East Hampton, New York, not far from the $32 million home the comedian purchased from rocker Billy Joel in 2000. A nearly six-foot-tall sign scrawled with wobbly handwritten t- red text advertised that they were selling so that when drivers zooming by could read uh, they would see what they were missing. Dressed in baseball caps and shorts, the four salesmen hawked their ice-cold beverages throughout the course of the afternoon. They were raising money for a nonprofit organization started by uh, Seinfeld's wife, Jessica, called Good and Foundation. Um, until a police officer arrived and parked his cruiser at the stand. They were making lots of money. So they said they can't sling the juice without a uh, a permit. So they shut down they shut down Jerry Seinfeld's son's lemonade stand. <laughs> you need a permit to sell lemonade. I guess that makes sense. You know, Doc was Doc pointed out when he called in about all the safety measures that you have to go through. You don't want people to get sick, you know. So, anyway, interesting to see how people earn the earn some money when they were a kid. Yeah. So, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We're going to talk about some weird and wild TV theories coming up here on WGN, but let's hit the news. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories to a beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here till 4 o'clock. It's Wednesday, so that means at 3.30 we'll play a round of Know Your Onion. That's where Tom is your host, and uh, he'll uh, throw some news headlines at you, and you're going to have to uh, decide whether they are real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And you win things. Don't you like to win things? Tom, you like to win things, don't you? I do love to win things. Okay. What's the biggest prize you've ever won at, in a contest? Oh, that's a good question. I won a Nickelodeon jean jacket. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I answered trivia questions. Did you have a half-eaten taco in your tercel? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, an Impala, actually, but yeah. <laughs> Looney Tunes jacket, Horatio Sands. Uh, that's a great sketch, by the way. So that was a back from SNL. Um, Sean Hayes. I think that's the only time Sean Hayes hosted um, SNL, and he was he was great. I think Sean Hayes is an amazingly talented man. So, uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. 
Do you know of any weird TV show theories, like about storylines and characters and stuff? Have you ever, uh, you ever, you ever, you ever just made stuff up? Tom, you ever watch a TV show and like just imagine like a weird background for any of the characters or anything like that? Just make up your own backstory. Hmm, that's tough. Uh, not so much TV. I've done it for movies quite a bit. Like for what? Like what? Uh, I think Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is a sequel to Forrest Gump. Um, you think it's a sequel to Forrest Gump? I think it's a sequel to Forrest Gump. I think you could draw a connection between those two things. Well, Tom Hanks is in both of them. That is true. That movie sucks. That, yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Forrest Gump. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, but that extremely... What, what, what's it called again? Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. It works better as a book. It's based on a book. Oh, it is? I didn't read the it book. Works. The movie's terrible. The movie yeah. is terrible. Yeah, Who works. else was in that? Max von Sydow. Yeah. Um, Who was the female lead in it? Do you remember? There wasn't really a, f- a big female lead, okay. if, I, if I remember. There was the, someone played the mom, but she doesn't And there's a kid in it, right? It yeah. Like, it's about it's a story of an, uh, an autistic child whose dad dies in 9-11. Yeah, it's a ter- I remember it just being terrible. Uh, like I said, it works way better as a book. Okay, way but better. you, you, your theory is that that movie is a sequel to Forrest Gump. Well, yeah, Forrest Gump is at every major event of the 20th century. Why wouldn't he be there in 2001? Yeah, that it's a it's kind of a grim one. But then he also has a kid who's incredibly he's a savant, you know, a savant of sorts. Mm-hmm. And the kid in incredibly extremely loud and incredibly close is also <laughs> a brilliant child. So yeah, I don't know. You remember who played the kid at the end of Forrest Gump? Haley Joel Osment. That's exactly right. Um, all right, so we have some weird TV show uh, fan theories. Do you ever make up like a backstory while you're watching a TV show? 312-981-7200. Just in your imagination, you like to think these characters did this beforehand or had a storyline. Uh Here's what uh, this article uh, begins with. There are a lot of unsolved mysteries lingering around some of our favorite TV shows, whether the series tr- series creators left something vague on purpose to stir debate or accidentally left in a glaring plot hole that f- uh, viewers feel compelled to try and explain. That's how a fan theory gets started. But uh, only the most convincing or downright bizarre ones pick up steam and start getting mainstream attention. We found some of the most outrageous TV fan theories of all time. Okay. Some of these are hilarious. Let me just say that. Uh, 312-981-7200. Do you ever uh, just sort of make up in your head like a theory, a backstory for a character on TV or, you know, that kind of thing? Uh, You can call us at 312-981-7200 on the Team Hochberg phone line. It's open. What are some of your your hilarious or weird backstory TV theories? Here's Greg on WGN. Hi, Greg. Hey, Nick. How are you? All right. What's up, buddy? So this one may actually have some basis in reality. I didn't make it up, but I heard somebody throw it out there one time a long time ago that all five of the original characters from Scooby-Doo each represent a college from the Boston area. Like, one represents Amherst, one represents Mass U, one represents the other thing that supposedly their characters and their personalities are based on the five colleges that are in that region. Is, so. that, is that right? Well, then, uh, what, what about, um, who's the pothead? That, uh, Shaggy. 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 Who does he represent? 
Hampshire. Uh, I can, yeah, I can never remember all the five colleges that are that are represented. I think we got yeah, it, Greg. I got, I got here, this. For listen, you. here we go. Listen, because you, you nailed a couple of them. So Daphne is supposed to be Mount Holyoke or Holyoke. Holyoke, uh, yeah. Holyoke. Velma is Smith. Fred is Amherst, Shaggy is Hampshire, and Scooby is UMass Amherst. So, you know, (laughs) there it is. That's amazing. Greg, thanks, buddy. Yep, have a great day. All right, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about, like these weird fan theories or backstories or secrets uh, from TV shows. 312-981-7200. Okay, you ready for the first one? Hit me. Monica from Friends was the product of an extramarital affair. Ah, the little X-Files. Hey, I used to watch that show pretty regularly. (laughs) Great program. I was kind of a fan. It's a running joke on Friends that Ross and Monica's mom, uh, Judy, clearly favors the elder Geller brother over his younger perfectionist sister. While it's... uh, Presented as fodder of plenty of jokes throughout the series, one fan theory suggests that there's something more troubling lurking under the surface. It's this theory. Monica is the result of an affair Judy had during her marriage to Jack, and Judy's shame over the whole ordeal causes her to belittle Monica and praise Ross as her favorite. I say we get Courtney Cox on the phone. Yeah. Courtney, if you're out there. Let's talk. Did I ever tell you? Did I ever tell you the, the the night that I had David Arquette on the show? Oh no! Was this when he was doing his wrestling stuff? Oh no! This was for oh. I can't remember what movie it was. It was he was promoting movie. Oh, yeah, I had, had him movie. on, and he, obviously it was late at night. Yeah. And he was he was in his car for the first part of the interview, and then he was leaving. This is when he was he was married to Courtney Cox, right? Time. Right? Right? And so um, he was in his car. He, by the way, great guest, David Arquette. Seems like a nice guy. He's hilarious. Funny guy. Um, and uh, I think might have been a scream movie. A new Scream movie or something? I can't remember. But anyway, um, he got out of his car, and he was walking into the house, and he was talking. And uh, <laughs> he ended up waking up Courtney Cox. <laughs> woke her up, and you could hear her in the background going, David! Because he, <laughs> he woke her up. <laughs> I love that. Oh, geez. Okay, anybody have any other weird TV theories, fan theories? And if you'd like to make up a backstory... To add a little intrigue to your favorite show. Or movie, too, because, uh, you know, Tom Thinks Incredibly Stupid All Real Fast is a sequel to uh, Forrest Gump. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. It's Nick DeGilio and WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Um, here until uh, 3 o'clock, uh, we got some uh, Carson comedy clips. Uh, Bill Maher from 1982 doing some stand-up coming up at 2.30. Uh, know Your Onion coming up at 3.30. So get ready to call in. We'll take the first two callers, and um, we'll uh, you can win things. <laughs> um, 312-981-7200. Do you have any weird theories that you make up like backstories for tv and characters and stuff like that 
because we have some really outrageous TV show fan theories. The first one was that Monica from Friends was the product of an extramarital affair. <laughs> Just making stuff up, making it a little bit more intriguing. Or if you, you've had a theory about a movie as well, if you want to jump in with that. All right. Um, 312-981-7200. These are, some of these are really, really funny. Um, uh, how about this one? Kramer is actually a drug dealer on Seinfeld. How about that one? How exactly does Kramer afford an apartment in New York City despite never having a job? It's played as an ongoing joke in the show, but according to Redditor I'm the Wiz, there has to be something more to Kramer's lifestyle, and it's likely that illegal drug dealing is the answer. Not only would uh, dealing drugs solve the mystery behind Kramer's money, but drug usage may also shed light on his erratic behavior, why he keeps such odd hours, and his seemingly insatiable appetite. (laughs) <laughs> Kramer's a drug dealer. Well, they do kind of explain it. You know the episode where uh, the bagel shop episode, right? He's been on strike. <laughs> uh, so drug dealer. Uh, here is Chris on WGN. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Nick? All right, what do you got? Uh, you remember that soap, Passions? Uh, never watched it, but I do remember it. Oh, yeah. Because I, I got a lot of things on that show that's weird, because, you know, it has a witch on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never watched it, but I was I, I was aware of it. Yeah, yeah here's my backstory on it. On the, if y'all didn't know about the finale where Ethan finds out about his ex, Gwen, was a manipulative you-know-what. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, a few years later, when she breaks out of jail, she kidnaps uh, Ethan and and tries to uh, kidnap the kid. And, you know, and have Juanita Vasquez, because that was her partner in crime at the time, to, re-kid, to re-torment her family and put it in jeopardy. Yeah. All right, that's your theory. That's right. Okay. All right, Chris. Take care. Okay. Okay. I have no idea what he was talking about because I've never seen that show <laughs> ever. If you have any theories, that, uh, backstories that you'd like to make up, 312-981-7200. How about this one? Jim Halpert was able to get away with a lot because he wrote The Office. <laughs> it's hard not to root for Jim from The Office. He's the ultimate good guy stuck in an office of goofballs and eccentrics. But one fan theory from Reddit, uh, a user, Yonster, suggests that it's all by design because The Office is actually a meta-series written by Jim Halpert himself. (laughs) This explains why Jim is one of the only normal members of uh, Dunder Mifflin, why he gets the girl, and why he always gets away with his pranks and practical jokes. Come on, man. I think Jim is the biggest jerk on that show. Oh no! Yes, he is. I don't think so. He he's constantly being mean to Dwight for no reason. He is bullying Dwight for no reason, <laughs> other than it amuses him. I think it's hilarious. He's playing pranks. I thought you hate pranks. Yeah, but not on if if, if, if they're on Dwight, it's okay. What's wrong with Dwight? He's <laughs> he's, a, he's a he's he's an idiot. But like, he doesn't really do anything to hurt anybody, does he? 
Not really. Just torturing. I think I think Jim is mean. Okay. Here's another uh, theory. 312-981-7200. If you've ever made up some backstories and theories about characters or shows, 312-981-7200. Okay, how about, how about this one, Tom? You ready? Cookie Monster has an eating disorder on Sesame Street. <laughs> Where's that from? I don't know. It's just kind of a general effect. <laughs> um, Sesame Street's resident snackaholic Cookie Monster doesn't eat chocolate ch- chocolate cookies as much as he crams them into his mouth with crumbs shooting off in every direction. It uh, might just look like unhinged enthusiasm on the surface, but one fan theory points to something far more disturbing than just undying love for cookies. The theory points out that Cookie Monster could have a chewing and spitting eating disorder. Which means he doesn't actually eat food; he just chews and spits it out. That's that is dark, dude. That is dark. <laughs> Remember, some years ago, they they uh, wanted Cookie Monster. There was a there was a, a, a an idea to have Cookie Monster stop eating cookies and start eating veggies. Something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah. The name of the character is Cookie Monster. Not Carrot Monster. Exactly. Just have him eat the cookie. That's the lesson, though, is that you don't be a co- don't be like Cookie Monster. Yeah, that's the whole point of the kid's character is that he's he's the, greedy. Here's here's the thing. Just don't mess with Sesame Street. Okay, just don't do it. You know what I mean? I actually bought a brownstone on Sesame Street. You did? Yeah. Uh huh. Is there a punchline to this? Nope. Okay. Uh, 312-981-7200 do you have any weird theories behind some uh, TV shows or characters here's one you ready for this one the Sopranos are actually cannibals (laughs) one outlandish theory suggests Tony Soprano and his crew don't just kill people they grind them up their carcasses and serve them uh, at the restaurant there are two shaky pieces of evidence for this theory. Christopher Moltisanti once flippantly said that it would be a long time before he eats at uh, Satrail's. What's the, how do you pronounce this, the restaurant? Oh, I, I, it's been a while since I watched The Sopranos. Since disposing of a body. Sadly, Tony's crime family uh, fam, crime family's name, DeMeo, refers was similar to DeMeo, D-E-M-E-O, not D-I-M-E-O. In real life, there was a gangster named Roy DeMeo. The rumors claimed he, his crew, had ritualistic ways of disposing of bodies. <laughs> that's grim. And that's like, I mean, I mean, it's already a grim enough show. Yeah. What did you think of the of the of the final episode? Love it. Oh, it's genius. God, absolute genius. Hate it. That's fine. Hate it. It's okay to be wrong. No, it's it sucked. What sucked about it? There was no ending. Just cut to black? Yeah. What? What is that? That damn Journey song? Is it, be, is it because there's no ending or is it because it's a Journey song? No, I love Journey. Okay, you are a Journey fan. Okay. Oh, yeah. I no, want to make sure. I'm a big want, Journey fan. Yeah. I want to clarify that. No, I'm a for, big Journey fan. For America. Fan. Yeah. But no, I, I think it's a genius ending. Hate it. How do you how do you end one of the most popular TV shows in history? You don't. I I like many people. I thought my cable went out. Seriously, when it cut to black, I was like, "What the hell happened to my cable?" 
And then the credits pop up, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's weird because my 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 last producer Dan Chagru also loved the, the final episode of The Sopranos. Ugh. But here's the thing, I didn't get as crazy upset about it because I didn't like The Sopranos as much as everybody else did. I thought that the, the Sopranos were it was good. It's no wire. No, it's not the wire. Nothing is surreal. the wire. No, nothing. because the wire is the best TV show that's ever aired ever in the history of television. You know, I speak a lot of hyperbole, but I mean that. <laughs> I don't know. Bewitched was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Which Darren do you prefer? Dick York or Dick Sargent? I'm a Dick Sargent guy. Oh, no. No, no. Dick York, much better. <laughs> much better, Darren. Oh, he, he, Dick York was like wacky Darren, mm-hmm. whereas Dick Sargent was like mad Darren. Exactly. I thought I felt it was more realistic. Because Dick York would be like, what's an elephant doing in this room? Mr. Tate's on his way. And Dick Sargent would be like, Sam, what is this elephant doing in this room? Yeah, I identified with that. I really did. If my wife were a genie, I wouldn't be... She's a witch. Go- or a witch, whatever. The be show's witch. called Bewitched. Yeah, I was thinking of... I Not be genied. <laughs> Pardon me. I would be upset if my my witch wife were just conjuring elephants into my into my living room. I don't like that. Uh, I, yeah, no, I prefer Dick York. That's your favorite Dick? My favorite Darren. Oh, okay. Or Durwood, as uh, Durwood. as uh, <laughs> as Agnes Moorhead would call him. <laughs> Durwood. Oh, uh, yeah. I was a kid, I had a crush on Elizabeth Montgomery. Well, I mean. God, look at her. She's beautiful. Yeah. Did you, did you know that in the 70s she was in a TV movie where she played Lizzie Borden? I'm not kidding. Can I can I get this somewhere? I look it up. I don't know if it's available on DVD. I can't remember the title of it, but she played Lizzie Borden in a TV movie in the 70s. So, all right. Uh, let's break here, and when we come back, we got some uh, comedy from the classic uh, Johnny Carson show. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. We're going to go back to 1982 for some classic stand-up from Bill Maher, and that's coming up after this. Talk to me. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we're here till 4, as we are every weekday in morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. We're going to get back to our conversation about uh, weird, ridiculous, and crazy TV show fan theories, and if you've got any, uh, we would uh, love to hear from you if you just made up some backstory or something like that from a TV or a movie. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. We'll get back to that. But every morning, a weekday morning at 2.30, we always play some classic clips from the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show on Antenna TV every night. We play back interviews, sketches, stand-up, comedy, all that stuff. Uh, we're going to take you back to 1982 for a stand-up set from Bill Maher. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. This is a great crowd. You know that? It's terrific. Thank you. Yeah. I was, uh, was going to say to the folks here in the studio, audience, if, you, if you could face this way. But, uh, 
So, you look good. Yeah, nice to be here. I actually drove out here, which is uh, quite an experience. You know, I think the roads here are not that safe anymore because there are so many people who have to speed just to get their job done. Did you ever see these uh, Federal Express drivers? <laughs> these guys are under a lot of pressure, I'm telling you. Boy, when it has to be there overnight, old ladies in the crosswalks don't mean a hell of a lot. <laughs> Get your grandmother off the road. Is this one? But I like that spirit. You know, it's an American spirit of rugged uh, macho. I like that, you know. Pony Express, it's like. I like uh, political macho. I love Reagan when he's tough with other countries, you know. I think we need that around the world. Don't you think so? Get tough with other countries? Like if the Russians try to take over one more country, I think we should do something tough. I think we should blow up Chicago. And then tell Brezhnev, hey, that's what we do to a city we like. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that guy, Brezhnev. He's a communist. Well, he's an ugly looking one, too. Did you ever see the guy? Looks like he tripped and stubbed his face. I'm telling you. Which is not surprising. Have you been following in the papers how close he is to death? I mean, he's not long, and uh, I'm telling you, this is a... <laughs> Don't applaud that. <laughs> Which is a scary thought, because he's an absolute dictator with his finger on the nuclear button. I mean, you know, that's a scary thought to picture. A dying man with his finger on the button? What if he's a misery loves company sort of guy? <laughs> and there's no major succession over there in Russia either, you know. I mean, there's no vice dictator. <laughs> When he goes, they all just get in a ball on the office floor and wrestle for it. <laughs> 75-year-old men biting each other. It's a macabre scene, I'm telling you. At least we have a means of succession over here. We have Vice President Bush, who I must say is a tough job, too, because, uh, you know, he's tempted. He's a heartbeat away from a guy who's not that young himself, Reagan. I mean... <laughs> That's got to be a temptation. I wouldn't be surprised if Bush goes around the White House trying to scare him. Boo! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I kid the communists. Um, my, my, <clears throat> my parents are actually immigrants, and if I may say, my one wish in this business is to be able to make enough money to hopefully someday send them back behind the Iron Curtain. <laughs> I kid because I love, and I think you know that. Yeah, no, I do. I come from an ethnic heritage. I come from a mixed marriage, which uh, means my mother is Jewish and my father is Catholic. That is the truth. I was raised Catholic formally, although I must say the Jewish mind comes out, even in the Catholic system. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we used to go into confession, and uh, I would bring a lawyer in with me. <laughs> Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I think you know Mr. Cohen. <laughs> but I, I kid religion, but I go back to the church often. I find it very comforting. And, you know, this, they're modernizing. Some of the things, amazing. Uh, for instance, when you, when you go back now, I don't know if you know this, but when they serve the wafer in communion, they also have a salad bar. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
<laughs> but but you, you, it's, it's important to talk about religion, I think, because it really, it makes you think big. And I mean real big. I mean reach for the stars big, you know? Nothing else can do that. I mean, they taught us the biggest. Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. Now, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I mean, that's what I call picking up the check for the whole table. <laughs> And religion makes you do things that nothing else could make you do. Circumcision. <laughs> I mean, we're used to it now. I'm thinking about the first group of people to hear about this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, no. I, I gotta think Moses came down with this concept. <laughs> there had to be one guy going... Let me get this straight. Um, are you sure you heard him correctly now? What, is he talking through that burning bush again? Anyway, look, I think I gotta be out of town that day. I'm in Bethlehem on a thing, but... Um, not easy being born, I tell you. Naming a kid, I often think, must be one of the roughest chores of parenthood. You know, some people have solved this problem. You know this? You ever meet Swedish people? Swedish people, the names are very severe. They're very guttural. Sven! Okay. You know? <laughs> Take it easy. I found out what this is. Swedish mothers give the name of the child as they're giving birth. It's an amazing phenomenon. During the actual delivery, whatever grunting sound... Oh, that! <laughs> You're born! That's the name of the child. Sometimes it's an easy birth. Uskadu. Ah, Bill Maher. You ever watch... Uh... What was this politically incorrect? Right? His show? Yeah. Wasn't it? Was it? God, why can't the, I remember? The first, well, the uh, and then the other one was, I think it was just called Bill Maher Show. But the, I think his first one was politically incorrect on HBO. Oh, well, I always, real time. Real time, that's right. That's Yeah, that's the show the, he's but, had forever. But the first one was politically incorrect. Hmm. So... Yeah, right. politically incorrect, 93 to 2002. Yeah. Uh, which I guess was on Comedy Central. Oh, it was on Comedy Central. That's yeah. right. And then later on ABC. Mm hmm. Uh, real time, though, is on HBO. Yeah, yeah, real time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty good set from Bill Maher during the time when he was in DC Cab. I can't believe you've never heard of DC Cab. Come on, man. DC I don't know, Cab. I was born in 1993, man. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, but you should be. You should know what DC Cab is. Should I? I think so. <laughs> A random movie starring Bill Maher, Mr. T, and Gary Busey. Directed by Joel Schumacher. Listen, I'm not exactly a big Joel. I mean, you're not a big Joel Schumacher guy. No, I. I've, uh, he was a lovely man. Lovely man. I met him twice. God he love was him, a but... lovely man. He only made a handful of good movies. Yeah. 
So, um, number one, Batman and Robin. No. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Genius. Genius stuff. Ugh. No. I'm trying to think of uh, the... You like falling down. Love falling down. Um, Negate Millimeter has moments. It's pretty good. I can't even remember some of the other stuff that he's directed. I mean, I think of uh, Lost Boys. You Hate, don't it. Like. Hate it. Hate it. St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, God. You know, you know what's not terrible? Dying Young. With uh, Campbell uh, Campbell Scott and Julia Roberts. That's not bad. Where are you at on the Phantom of the Opera? Oh. Yeah. Can you name... I think you can probably name, without even, on one hand, the amount of good movies that Gerard Butler is in. 300. Yeah, I like 300. Den of Thieves. Okay. Don't like Den of Thieves? Eh. Um, I like the remake of Law Abiding Citizen. Uh, so. All right, we're back to weird TV theories in a, in a minute here. If you have any, if you just make up some backstories and uh, f- some fan TV show theories, uh, we'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Give us a call. we got some weird theories here. Let me do one more before we break for some weather weather. Zach can, uh, can warp time and save by the bell. Ah! What was that? Uh, Tom Hanks screaming. Tom Hanks screaming? Yeah, from Toy Story. Oh, it's from Toy Story. <laughs> it's Woody screaming. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Zach can warp time and save by the bell. Whenever Zach needs to pause the action and provide a little commentary on save by the bell, he'll say time out and literally freeze time so he can speak directly to the audience. But is Zach actually pausing time? Or is it just a narrative device? Some fans insist that Zach isn't just stopping time. He's subjecting himself and others to the consequences of playing God. Some believers swear he's shaving years off his life, while others think stoppage creates a new reality. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does, he does stop time, though, right? Yeah, and he looks at the camera. And he goes, I'm Zach. <laughs> Is that, is that what he sounds That's like? Right. <laughs> Who would have thought that Mark Paul Gossier or whatever the hell his name is uh, would be would be good years later? Do you not like Saved by the Bell? No. I, my, my roommate, though, my Scott Oaken, he watched it all the time. So because, as a result, that's because he's a man of culture. As a result, I watched a few episodes of it, but just not good. That's oh, great. You know what show was great? That, that Mark Paul Glucier was on? Uh, pitch, right? Exactly. That, that was called Pitch? Yep. But Great. The, but the first major league female uh, pitcher. Great show. That was a great show, and he was terrific on it. So. All right, so Zach can warp time and save by the bell. There's another weird theory. If you have any other backstory theories on your favorite TV shows or characters, 312-981-7200.
Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. And we're here till 4 o'clock as we are every weekday, late night, morning. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We uh, are talking about uh, weird uh, fan theories behind TV shows where you just make up a backstory or imagine something different about the character. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. So if you've got any uh, weird sort of backstories in uh, in either a movie or a TV show that you just make up, make up a backstory in a theory, call us at 312-981-7200. Here's Sheila on WGN. Hi, Sheila. Hey, morning, Nick. Hi. Hey, you guys were talking about Bewitched. I don't know if you guys remember the episodes, if you used to watch that, but remember that um, when they first had Tabitha, the witches cancel came, and they kept trying to abduct Tabitha, and they were fighting over it. Well, when they had the little boy, Adam, they um, they were really pissed off because they said Darren kept um, getting in the way, you know, with the witchcraft and everything. They already thought he screwed up Tabitha. And then the whole thing, this Adam, the little son, just disappeared, and nobody knows. You know, everyone says it's weird. They act like he never existed. The backstory was that they put a spell on the family and made them forget Adam, and they sent them to that school that they wanted to send them, the reform school or whatever, for warlocks. And that's what happened to them, that they were raising them. Oh, I don't, rem- I don't, rem- I don't remember that at all. That's <laughs> what because they tried to keep taking them. So yeah, yeah okay. that's what they said happened to them. There so. you go. All right, Sheila. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. If you've got a a a, a fan based theory backstory for a movie or a TV show. Okay, how about this one? Walter White picks up traits from the people he kills on Breaking Bad. Fans saw an unpredictable guy, Walter White, could be over uh, uh, how unpredictable a guy uh, Walter White could be over the course of Breaking Bad's five season run. But there is one thing that old Walt was pretty dependable about. Once he kills someone, he begins adopting their traits. We saw how Crazy Eight liked his sandwiches without the crust. After Walter White murdered him, he started eating crustless PB and J's. He also took. Mike Aaron Trout's go-to drinker order, uh, Gus Fring's car, and who knows how many other things from his victims. Uh, okay. Have you watched Breaking Bad? Uh, yeah. What'd you think? I, I liked it. I'm not as crazy about it as everybody else is. <laughs> oh. Um, I, I loved it. I really loved it. Did you watch the the spinoff Netflix movie with Aaron Paul? Yeah, I didn't love it. Did okay. I didn't I didn't need that. Um, it was called El Camino, right? Yeah, El Camino. Okay. Um, it was it was it was fine. Uh, public tours keep the estate alive on Downton Abbey. <laughs> In Downton Abbey, the Crawleys spend much of their time fretting about the future management of their estate. But when Lady Mary takes over at the end of the series, creator Julian Fellows believes she'd find a way to keep her family's home in their hands. Uh, she would probably have opened the opened the the house to the public in the '60s, as so many of them did. Fellows told Deadline, and uh, she'd have uh, 
She'd have retreated to a wing and maybe only occupied the whole house during the winters. Now, you ever watch Downton Abbey? No. Couldn't pay me to watch it. It's a good show, man. I'm sure it is. I don't I just I don't care. I don't care about what's happening in the stately England land. Okay. <laughs> I, I I heard the movie was really good. Movie was good. So Yep. Maybe I'll have to give it a chance. Uh all the characters on well, here's another one. This is a different one. All the characters on Scooby Doo are draft dodgers. What? Where's your little sound effect? <laughs> Here, say it one more time. Give me one. All the characters on Scooby-Doo are draft dodgers. <laughs> uh, that was funny. That was funny, man. Did not see that one coming. Didn't see that coming at all. So in addition to this, to, to the, the characters on Scooby-Doo representing local colleges, each character representing a local college, as we discussed earlier, yes? They're now draft dodgers. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? premiered in 1969, right in the middle of the Vietnam War. As the draft sent young men to war, Fred and Shaggy somehow avoided Uncle Sam's siren song. So is Mystery Inc. just filled with a bunch of draft dodgers? Maybe the mystery machine is going straight toward Canada to avoid deployment. <laughs> uh, well, they're fighting a different war, a war against the paranormal. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. And maybe the crew just always needs to be on the run to avoid detection. Either way, it's a blemish on Scoob's record. I mean, let's be honest here. The central premise of Scooby-Doo makes no sense. The, a bunch of kids in a van just traveling, traveling around. around. Driving around solving mysteries. Yeah. Ostensibly and, around and, the country. And every every mystery ends exactly the same way. They take a mask off a guy. It's old man Withers. It, yeah, it's old man Withers, and it's it, it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yeah. I love that show though. Oh, I did I uh, please. Well they they had one um, Except for Scrappy. Yeah, Scrappy, Scrappy Scrappy was sucked. a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes Scrappy do. I feel like there was one where they may have interacted with, like, the Universal Monsters. I don't know about or, that, but I'm, there was one with the Harlem Globetrotters. Well, that, I mean, let's let's be yeah. real. That's top five. Yeah. That's top five Scooby-Doo. They they went to monster school. <laughs> they, uh, didn't they hang out with Kiss in one of them? Did they? That had to be pretty late in the run, because, you know, Kiss didn't get popular until the mid to late 70s. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, I love Scooby-Doo. I loved it. You know, I mean, you know, as you know, as a as a kid who loved horror and scary stuff and cartoons, it was like a combination of those two things. In 69 when it premiered, I was 4. So when it's when they started reruns in the 70s, that's when I started watching it. Like when it was 8 or 9. Yeah. And they've had some really great like guest appearances from on Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Jodie Foster was in one. Uh, Phyllis Diller, Tim Conway appeared as himself. Did Jodie Foster play herself? No, she was the voice of Pugsley Adams. Oh, that's you remember right. That? Yes, that's right. Because Jodie Foster's got that beautiful voice. You know, that, that lovely sort of uh, wonderful yeah. husky voice. Yeah. 
even as a kid, you know, she had that. Oh, uh, I was in love with her as a kid because she's a couple, just a couple years older than me, and she started out as a kid actress, obviously, and appeared on a bunch of stuff. Jerry Reed appeared as himself. <laughs> Jonathan Winters appeared as himself. Uh, wow! Ir- ironically, Casey Kasem is considered a guest, even though he was the voice of Shaggy. Did he play himself? No, he was Robin. So he he provided both Shaggy and this character Robin. Yeah, Zoinks! Well, it was, yeah, it was Ro- like Batman and Robin. Oh, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Okay. Dick Van Dyke as himself. Oh, I'd love to see that episode. How old is Dick Van Dyke now? He's got to be like ninety-five, right? Oh boy. Um, let's see here. Uh, he is ninety-four. Just under, yeah. Man. Born in 1925. Yeah. And he's he's sprightly. I love Dick Van Dyke. I love him. I always have. I've loved him since Mary Poppins. That was like one of the, the first time that I remember seeing him was in Mary Poppins. And, of course, the TV show was legendary. I've always loved him, though. Always. I was a big Diagnosis Murder fan. Diagnosis Murder. Good yeah. stuff. Good, good stuff. All right, how about this one? Real quick before we hit the news, one of the characters on The Walking Dead is dreaming. (laughs) What the hell? All right, I'll tell you about this one (laughs) after the the news. If you have any theories, uh, made-up theories, about your favorite TV shows or characters or movies, 312-981-7200, and we'll tell you. About one of the characters on The Walking Dead was dreaming. Where are you finding these sound effects? Just random? I've got I've got a stack of records here. It's all sound effects records. I'm playing them right off the needle. <laughs> random. Every time I hear this the the uh, the word random, or when I say the word random, I think of that scene in in uh, um, Shaun Shaun of the Dead. Where if you leave me now by Chicago comes on the jukebox. Who played that? Some random. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to the news. Yeah, man. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning. 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Hey! Onion! Know it! 3.30 we'll do a round of Know Your Onion. That's for Tom's your host. We'll take the first two callers at 312-981-7200 at 3.30. And then uh, Tom will throw some News headlines at you, and you have to figure out whether they're uh, real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And uh, you win things. Don't you want things? Things are nice. Um, so we're talking about some really weird and some hilarious TV show fan theories, like made-up backstories for characters and history of uh, some something. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Like, uh, here's one. 
We were just talking about how all the characters on Scooby Doo are draft dodgers. <laughs> and uh, one of the characters on The Walking Dead is dreaming. <laughs> Where's that from? It's canned ooze and Oz. Oh, okay. Um, having a character dream the events of a show is one of the oldest fan theory cliches, but sometimes you can make a compelling argument in favor for it. One strong contender is The Walking Dead, a series connected to no shortage of fan theories. The theory claims that the whole show is just a dream Rick's having while he's in the coma at the start of the series. Creator Robert Kirkman did, however, debunk the theory on Twitter not long ago. Um, Game of Thrones is really about climate change. Hey, you know what's weird? Those animated shows from the 60s that have canned laughter. So it's like a cartoon audience. Mm-hmm. I don't get like, that. Like the Flintstones and uh, the Jetsons. Did the Jetsons have a laugh track too? I think so. Didn't Scooby-Doo have a laugh track? No. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. I think it, you know what? I think you're right. I think it did. But I always found it weird. Not when I was a kid, but when I got older, I was like, what? What, what, where's the audience? And are they, they, they are they animated? <laughs> anyway, Game, Game of Thrones is uh, uh, really about climate change. Now, you you were a fan of Game of Thrones, Tom. I, however, didn't watch it. No, uh, I I really enjoyed that show until around season five or six. Okay, this theory popularized by Vox Media in 2016. Suggests that the white that the White Walkers from Game of Thrones are a metaphor for climate change. The White Walkers, humanoid ice creatures who have returned after centuries in exile to slowly destroy humanity, are seen as unstoppable menaces that slowly and mercilessly destroy uh, civilizations. The real kicker is that the houses of the Seven Kingdoms are too busy fighting each other to take notice of the real danger, and some characters deny their existence altogether. How do you feel about that uh, theory as a fan uh, of the throny? I don't know. It's It seems like it's kind of grasping at straws. I mean, it's uh, the show is about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Climate change. I think, just, I think it's more interesting to think of as a show about, I don't know, politics. I guess. that's what it's about. It's about kings and successions and things like that and the balance of power. I find that to be the most compelling part of the show, not whether or not it's Al Gore's favorite thing. I never, uh, I never really watched it, but I, I will say this: you know, having seen pictures and clips, and obviously you can't avoid it. Right, White Walkers are cool looking. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're pretty, pretty cool. I mean, I'll, I'll say this: you liked Lord of the Rings, right? I love Lord of the Rings. You love Lord of the Rings? Yes, I do. I feel like if you if you gave it the time, you might come around to Game of Thrones. No guarantees. Yeah. But you watched like the first episode, right? And you no, just, no, no. Like, I watched like four or five episodes, okay. and I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Well, then I wouldn't worry about it. Then just leave it behind. It's it's yeah. the the cultural capital that it had pretty much evaporated the day it ended because people were so upset about the final episode. Yeah, no one talks about it. We're in the middle. Anybody of- talk about the coffee cup? No, no one <laughs> even cares about that anymore. 
But think about it. We're we're in the middle of a time where most people are pretty much staying in. We're not going anywhere. We're watching a ton of TV. Yeah. I know of zero people who said, you know what? I'm going to go rewatch Game of Thrones now. Yeah. Because it was that disappointing across the board for everyone. Uh, okay. Anybody have any theories behind uh, some of your favorite uh, movies or TV shows? 312-981. Here's one. Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead exist in the same universe. It's a, What? Both Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead put AMC dramas on the map, and according to some fans, their link is far more concrete than just the network that they're on. Though there's a lot of evidence that both shows exist in the same universe, the biggest is Blue Sky. In Breaking Bad, Blue Sky is Walt and Jesse's signature brand of potent meth, and on The Walking Dead, it's also shown as a favorite of Merle Dixon. Oh. Ah. Well, and Merle Dixon played by the great, um, uh, I can't remember his name, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah. Um, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. I, yeah, he was the main reason I watched that show. Who, by the way, could not be a cooler guy. Mm-hmm. Could not be a cooler guy. I had some drinks with him at uh, Flashback a few years ago. Was he there for Henry? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, he was there. Well, yeah, he, walking just, Dead. And, yeah, Walking you know, Dead. I mean, he's, I forgot, he's, yeah. he's made other horror. He was in, um, uh, what the hell's the name of that movie with the, the, the uh, geez, James Gunn movie. Um, oh, Slither. Yeah. yeah. He's oh, in Slither. Yeah, he's, oh, that's the best. Yeah. Slither. That's a terrific movie. Like five people have seen that movie. Yeah. So. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, more th- fan theories. If you had any, any weird sort of made-up stories or fan theories about your TV shows or movies, jump in here because these are, these are pretty fun. 312-981-7200. All right. Hey, what are you doing? Get up. <laughs> Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here till 4. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place on the TV side of WGN, and we get some great news and information from them. And then at 5 o'clock, Bob Surratt, the legend, has your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the number on the Team Hochberg phone line. And if you want to join us, uh, do you have any weird... Or fun theories about your favorite TV shows or your movies? Sort of a made-up backstory? Uh, 312-981-7200. Hey, coming up at 3.30, we have a a round of Know Your Onion. So get ready. Um, And the first two callers at 312-981-7200 at 3.30 will be our contestants for another round of Know Your Onion. We do it every Wednesday morning, 3.30. Okay, are you ready for more of these uh, theories? The characters on Fuller House know they're on TV. (laughs) When Full House was revived on Netflix as Fuller House, it included some meta references to its predecessor, leading some to think that the Tanner family is aware that they're on TV and performing for an audience like in The Truman Show. 
wait a minute. He doesn't know he's on TV in the Truman Show. Well, not until he discovers eventually, right? Yeah, near the end. I think they're just comparing the concept. Remember Ed TV? Yeah. With uh, it's pretty good. Who the hell was the lead? I know Woody Harrelson was in it. Oh, it was McConaughey. Yes. McConaughey. Not his most shining moment, but good cast. Ron Howard, right? Ed TV? Yep, Ron Howard. Yep. Uh, you got Woody Harrelson, Jenna Elfman, uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, she's pretty. That she is. Um, Mashable's Andrea Romano wrote a lengthy article with evidence to back up the theory, such as the Tanner's proclivity for breaking the fourth wall, Uncle Jesse talking about working on General Hospital as a music composer, and characters commenting on the background music. I never watched Full House, so I didn't watch Fuller House. Did you watch Fuller House? Nope. I heard it was terrible. I watched maybe the first episode, and I would say you're not missing much, man. Yeah, I mean, I never watched the, you know, never, I never watched Full House. So, doesn't just some dude live in the basement? You got, you got well, yeah, uh, Dave Coulier. So Coulier, or maybe he d- lives in like a, a coach house sort of. Thing. I think he lives in the basement. I think he lives in the basement, but he's not like not related to anybody in the house. Because uh, there's Uncle Jesse. Well, yeah, and, and that's Uncle Stamos. Joey. Yeah, Uncle Joey. I don't think any of them are related. Oh, I don't think because th- yeah, it's uh, Bob Saget. And I'm pretty sure Jesse and Joey and are just Stamos, like his buddies. Stamos and uh, Dave Coulier. And Coulier. The man who broke Alanis Morissette's heart. Yeah, that's yeah. what you ought to know is about him. Remember when that when people discovered that, that you ought to know is about Dave my, Coulier? Blew my mind, man. I'm sure he gets the question every time, but if I ever met him, I'd be like, what was that like? Why'd you do that? Uh, Kenneth from 30 Rock is immortal. <laughs> Did you just turn off your computer? No. <laughs> just a sound effect. <laughs> Kenneth from 30 Rock is immortal. Everyone I knows, like this one. Everyone like knows one. Kenneth is a pretty odd character, even by 30 Rock standards. And what, by the way, that 30 Rock uh, reboot last week was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And they changed the Kenneth character. It was so bad. And, 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 and they were right. It was a, you know, it was a, a glorified preview of what shows are available are going to be available in the fall on NBC and Peacock. I was so disappointed. I because I love 30 Rock. So everyone knows Kenneth is a pretty odd character even by 30 Rock standards and one fan theory suggests his peculiarities are because he's actually immortal. <laughs> there are a number of clues about sprinkled throughout the series such as how he always seems to know every major TV star from the 40s 50s and how he owned a pet bird for almost 60 years. Never even uh, thought about it. So you, 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 you like that one. Oh, I subscribe to that one. That can, yeah. No, they, and they hint at it, too. They hint at this idea that he's uh, a million years old. During right. the season seven episode, Governor Dunstan, Kenneth's mother, played by Catherine O'Hara, even referenced this fan theory when she describes her son's bizarre birth. 
I forgot Catherine Heron play uh, Catherine O'Hara played his uh, his mother. She's so great, very very funny. Oh God, I love her. All right, Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec is actually Andy from Toy Story. <laughs> That's the sound effect that Roy Leonard used when he did his Turkeys of the Year. Have ever do you know Turkeys of the Year? Yeah, I do. On Thanksgiving, he would turkeys of the year. go through the news and talk about the turkeys of the year and then like give them that sound effect. Uh, so here's a thought. Andy Dwyer, played by Chris Pratt, and Andy from Toy Story share the same first name. Uh, they both like guitars. They're both playful and childish. Could Andy Dwyer be the grown-up version of Buzz and Woody's best friend? There's a lot of evidence pointing to yes, but as with so many of these theories, it also sounds like some inventive fan fiction. So if you really want to believe that Andy's one of one and the same, then go for it. That's kind of a fun one. You know? Yeah, I don't mind that. Do you remember uh, how terrifying that scene in Toy Story 3 was when they were going to be burnt, incinerated? Oh my god. I don't know how they've how they keep making good Toy Story movies. They're all all four of them are great. All of them. Yeah, I just kept thinking, oh, this is they're they're going to run into a brick wall here. The last one was was great. Toy Story four is great. Mister Belding is a murderer who moved to California to get away from the scene of the crime and saved by the bell. How is that an appropriate response to that one? I'm picking up a random. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, before it was retooled as Saved by the Bell, the show was known as Good Morning, Miss Bliss, and Zach, Mr. Belding, Lisa, and Screech all lived in Indiana. How did they end up in California one year later when the show returned? Murder. According to one theory, Mr. Belden... Mr. Belding killed Miss Bliss, and Lisa Screech and Zach were the only witnesses to shut them up. He got them scholarships to a school in California where he also got a job. <laughs> now we're just pushing it, man. Now we're just... Mr. Belding seemed like a, a, a murderer to you? No. Now, Miss Bliss was played by uh, Haley Mills. Am I thinking it's uh, Haley Mills played uh, Miss Bliss? Let's see. Yep. Haley Mills. One of my Ms. first Bliss. one of my first crushes. Haley Mills. Got good old Dustin Diamond in there too. Oh, God. Samuel Screech Powers. That's his name? Yeah, Screech. No, I know Screech. I didn't know it was Samuel. Yeah. So his real name Samuel is Samuel Powers. Powers? Yeah. That's Screech. Good lord. <laughs> uh all right. You ready for the next one here? Sure. The Count feeds on the children of Sesame Street. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sesame Street kind of glosses over the fact that there is an undead creature of the night teaching children math every week. <laughs> but one theory suggests that the Count is more than just a nickname. Some viewers are convinced he lives up uh, to his billing as a blood-sucking Muppet vampire who preys on the children of Sesame Street. 
Think about it. The kids on Sesame Street are always being replaced, and the Count always has a heinous grin across the the, the that felt face of his. I think it's Big Bird. You think Big Bird's killing the kids? Yeah. Oh, he absolutely is. Look at the size of him. He's like a hawk. Like a hawk? Yeah, he's a big yellow hawk. What's wrong with you? Hey, I'm not the one pushing Count... You know, conspiracy theories on the air. I, the Count was always my favorite character. Well, yeah. Because, I, you know, I like vampires and stuff. So as a little kid, I always liked the Count the most. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he have to laugh after every single number? It's hilarious. Oh, it, dr- it drove me insane. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's the trademark of the character, man. I feel like they should have taken it to darker places, though. You know, like the Count, you know, maybe... Uh, Loses his job on Sesame Street. The Count loses his job? Yeah. How many beers has the Count had today? One. Oh. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, here, here's one before we uh, uh, break for uh, Know Your Onion. Will actually died in the fight from the Fresh Prince's opening credits. I have been pitying fools for 28 years, Bill, and it's never personal. One of my favorite quotes ever. Some fresh pimp, pr- pr- fresh pimp, yeah, fresh pimp fans are convinced that Will was actually dead during the show's entire six-run season, six-season run. The theory focuses on the sitcom's theme song, which references Smith getting into a fight with a couple of guys who were up to no good. The fight led to his mom to move him to his uncle's house in Bel Air. But what if Will actually died during the fight? Uh, the Banks Mansion does kind of resemble the Pearly Gates, if you think about it. It's another show I never watched. Fresh, out. Fresh Prince of Huey Lewis. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's open up the phone lines here. Get a chance to win uh, win a cool prize here. If you know your onion, 312-981-7200. We need two contestants, so the first two people that get through on the phone lines will be our contestants. You'll play a round each of Know Your Onion. 312-981-7200. Call right now. 312-981-7200. Uh, and the idea is Tom will quiz you, give you a uh, news headline, and you have to figure out whether it's real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. So your answer is real or The Onion. Uh, call right now. First two people through will be our contestants at 312-981-7200. I'm not like this. I'm really kind of shy. But I get this feeling whenever you walk by. Yeah. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and uh, we're live in the Skyline <clears throat> studio here in downtown Chicago, and 312-981-7200 is the uh, phone number. Uh, now, we've got our two contestants ready to go. Every Wednesday morning at 3.30, we like to play a little game called Know Your Onion, and uh, um, it is, uh, it's is—it's designed so that it's, it's based upon the... Um, Satirical newspaper, The Onion. 
And the news, the real news is so weird now, sometimes it's hard to tell whether it is real or the onion. So the idea is uh, that uh, Tom will read off a news headline and you have to decide whether it's real or if it's the onion. Okay, are we ready to begin? It's time to know your onion. Such a lovely tune from a lovely band. All right. uh, There we go. We got our first. Are you ready, Tom? Yes, sir. All right. Let's get this going now. Now. Here's Mark on WGN. Hey, Mark. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Are you familiar with The Onion? Yes, sir. Okay, good. All you got to do is figure out whether these news headlines are real or from The Onion, and if you get the majority of them correct, you get it. You, you win. All right. All right. Okay. Tom, ready? Right. I am ready. Let's get a little question music going. All right. Mark, your first headline here. Spain holds first annual Running of the Virus Festival. Is that real or is that the onion? That's got to be the onion. Well, let's see. Very good. <laughs> good start. Running of the virus. Good start. Okay. That's a gimme. That's a good one. Okay. All right. Uh, next up, Mark, your next headline. Legal marijuana may be slowing reductions in teen marijuana use, study says. Is that real or is that the onion? Uh, go real on that one. Let's see. Oh, good for you. What happened there? Ah. Well, <laughs> there you go. Tried that one. All right. So that is that is very much real. That's real. That's a real headline. What? Yeah. So let me give you the details there. The legalization of marijuana for Washington State adults uh, may be thwarting a steady downward trend of teen marijuana use, according to the University of Washington. The longitudinal study of more than 230 teens and young adults finds that teens may be more likely to use marijuana following legalization. Wow. Than they otherwise would have been. How about that? Mark, nice job, man. Two in a row. One more and you are a winner. (laughs) All right. All right. Let's uh, let's go. Your next headline, Satanic Temple offers scholarship to high school grads. Is that real or is that the onion? Uh, Let's go real again. Let's see. Wow. Hey. Man, oh, man. Three in a row, Mark. Nice job, buddy. Let's hear the details on this one. All right. The Satanic Temple is launching a college scholarship program for high school students. The Salem, Massachusetts-based group with advocates for stricter separation of church and state, among other civil rights issues, said Tuesday that the $500 Devil's Advocate Scholarship is open to any 2020 graduate. Wow. The Devil's Advocate Scholarship. Devil's Advocate Scholarship. And the first first one who got it, Keanu Reeves. (laughs) All right. Hey, congratulations, Mark. Thank you, guys. Good way to start the day. Yeah. You got yourself a $75 gift certificate to Green Tea Home Services. While you're spending so much time at home, take advantage of Green Tea Carpet Cleaning Service, air air duct purification, and garage door maintenance. You call 805-GREEN-TEA or go to greenteaservices.com. Hold the line, okay, Mark? All right, thank you. Got to hang on, buddy. There you go. That was pretty good. That was pretty, That was pretty impressive. Three in a row. Boom. Very good. Very, All right. Very good. Are you ready for the second contestant? Let's do this. All right. Here's Dave on WGN. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Good. You familiar with The Onion? 
kind of. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, you just have to guess whether these are real uh, headlines or from the satirical fake newspaper, uh, The Onion. All right? You got it. Okay. So let's go, Tom. All right, Dave, your first headline, Charmin under fire for new ads suggesting that it wouldn't be a bad idea if everyone started hoarding toilet paper again. Is that real or is that the onion? I'm going to say that's the onion. Let's see. Excellent! Very good. That's pretty funny. I like that one. That's pretty funny. Okay. Good job, Dave. Boy, everybody's getting them right out of the gate here. Yeah. This morning. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's try this one. Uh, panicked officials agree to reopen gyms after disastrous 85% drop in nation's chiseled studs. Is that real or is that the onion? Uh, I'm going to have to say the onion. Let's see. Hey. Wow. Jeez. Big week this week. Man, oh man, we got a bunch of people with their smart pants on <laughs> this morning. Okay, Dave, one more and you're also a winner. All right, your next headline, Dave. Man arrested after taunting police with donut. Is that real or is that the onion? I'm going to say that's real. Let's see. Uh, unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. Banner year. Unbelievable this week. Let me give you the details on that. Uh, videos from a pro-police rally Friday night in Washington shared on social media show an 18-year-old man being arrested after he taunted people, including sheriff's deputies, by dangling a donut hanging from a stick in front of them. He was booked into the county jail for investigation of fourth-degree assault and released the next day after making bail of $1,000. What is fourth-degree assault? I don't know. I didn't know that a it went donut past on a stick. <laughs> Note to self. Yeah, donut on a stick. Wow, very good, Dave. Thank you. All right, you uh, got yourself a $75 gift certificate to Green Tea Home Services while you're spending so much time at home. Take advantage of Green Tea uh, carpet cleaning service, air duct purification, and garage door maintenance. Uh, you can call 800-5-GREEN-TEA or you can go to greenteenservices.com. All right, uh, Dave, hold the line, buddy. Thank you. Okay. All right. Wow. That was pretty impressive, I got to say. Pretty impressive. All right. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. If you've got any weird uh, sort of theories about your uh, favorite TV shows or movies or something like that, just a fan-based theory, uh, 312-981-7200. All right, let's go to the next one. The next one is the U.S. government canceled Firefly for expressing anti-government sentiment. Though Joss Whedon's sci-fi drama Firefly found a rabid fan base in critical praise, it was canceled in 2002 after airing just 11 episodes. Uh, Fox started the cancelization, uh, stated the cancellation was due to solely due to low ratings, but conspiracy theorists believe the U.S. government had something to do with it. The show focuses on outlaws fighting against the oppressive Union of Allied Planets. Some believe the anti-government sentiment was too harsh, especially as the Iraq war was beginning. So Big Brother pulled the plug. All right. That's an interesting uh, theory. Uh, let's see. Oh, I've heard this one. I've heard this one before. Gilligan's Island is actually hell, and the characters represent the, the, the deadly sins. Some theorists claim that there's something sinister happening behind the scenes of Gilligan's Island. 
Rather than taking place on a deserted island, the occupants of the SS Minnow were actually killed when their boat capsized. And now they're in hell, and they all represent the seven deadly sins. There's the millionaire, Mr. Howell, Greed, his wife, Sloth, Ginger, Lust, Marianne, Envy, the professor, Pride, the skipper, Gluttony, uh, and Wrath. What about Gilligan? Well, he's Satan. Uh, how about this one? The Flintstones takes place in a post-apocalyptic future. This fan theory takes a turn for the depressing, but it's no less convincing. It presents the idea that the Flintstones don't take place... Oh, you want to th- throw a sound effect in here? Let me do the headline again. Okay, yeah, go ahead. The Flintstones take pl- takes place in a post-apocalyptic future. Shall um, so, uh, presents the idea that the Flintstones don't take place in our ancient past, but in our future after humanity has to start over following a horrific nuclear war. This also explains why denizens of bedrock use prehistoric beasts to mimic our modern technology, like a mastodon that doubles as a vacuum. They have enough evidence, uh, of our world to know of our technology, but can't build it themselves. <laughs> All right, how about this one? Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote, is a serial killer. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. I love that movie. <laughs> uh, that's after the deer wakes up and tears up the car. <laughs> How does Jessica Fletcher keep stumbling upon dead bodies time after time, only then to solve the mystery of who killed them? Well, one theory suggests Fletcher herself is actually a serial killer who uses her bloodlust to further her writing career. There's more. Once Fletcher finds the quote-unquote killer, she turns it into a new novel, rakes in the cash, and then does it all again. How else could you uh, could a crime novelist find inspiration in a quaint town like Cabot Cove? Uh, How about this one? Friends, which is on right now on the TVs. Friends was just a drawn-out promotion for Starbucks. They do spend a lot of time at the coffee shop. Oh, wait, I didn't hear it. Oh, good for you! (laughs) Uh, But wasn't, wasn't, uh, what's the name of the coffee shop in the, in front? Central Perk. Yeah, Central Perk. Uh, both Friends and Starbucks ruled popular culture in the mid to late 90s, and some out there believed that this is far more than a simple coincidence. According to one Facebook rant, Friends wasn't really a sitcom, but instead a 10-year marketing exercise aimed at making Starbucks the premier spot for young people. Uh, why else would the characters spend all their time in a cafe? It establishes coffee shops as the new trend, and then there's Rachel Green. What's the color of the Starbucks, lo- Starbucks logo? Think about it. Come on. That's just uh it's pushing it. It it really is. It's That's the thing it. about most of these is that I don't know if they're uh I don't know if they're really that credible. All right. Well, we've got more theories about uh, your t- your favorite TV shows and if you want to jump in 312-981-7200 312-981-7200.
swing, baby. When the world is cold. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. If you'd like to join us, it's Nick DeGilio. Wrapping up the show here, we're out at 4. Um, and uh, we're talking about some uh, fan theories behind some TV shows. And if you have any, 312-981-7200. Here's Rich on WGN. Go ahead, Rich. Hey, Nick. Yeah. Um, George Jetson was, he went to work as a stockbroker, but he was a criminal like Madoff. <laughs> That's the theory? That's my theory. Oh, okay. Because they always show him going to work. But I figured that he and he was like made off. <laughs> uh, okay, Rich. Thanks, buddy. All right. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. He worked at Spacely Sprocklets. Sprockets. I was always terrified of Rosie the robot. Why? I don't know. There's some. She's got those horrid red eyes. I liked Rosie. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I guarantee you, at night she was wait, she was planning her her murder of those of those uh, like Alexa, exactly right. There's a, you think she turn you know they 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 turn off Rosie for the night. They're like, all right, good night, Rosie. And then some point in the middle of the night, you just kind of like see from the glow of the darkness those two red eyes. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I'm going to kill George Jetson. You got a lot of time on your hands. You're one to talk. Jeez. <laughs> uh, all right. How about this? Mystery Inc. from Scooby-Doo is actually a cult. This is one of this is a, one that is a no-brainer once you see it. You got Fred, the handsome charmer. Daphne, the fashionable pretty one who follows Fred's every word. Then there's Velma for the brains and Shaggy who talks to a dog. There's definitely a cult vibe here. Oh, you didn't play any sound. Fred's obviously the leader, with Daphne serving as the devoted groupie. Mm. Velma's intelligence is useful for the group, and then there's Shaggy, and while people who talk to dogs have a complicated history in our world. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they ever got caught by the police. You know, they tie him up. Like, let's see who really is leading this, and they go to pull off Fred's mask, and it's David Koresh. Yeah. How about this? Mr. Bates is actually a bad guy on Downton Abbey. In Downton Abbey, a lot of time is spent in an effort to convince viewers that John Bates, Lord Grantham's trusty valet, is a great guy. You just have to look beyond his checkered past and multiple murder allegations, but what if it's more than just allegations? Some on Reddit theorize that Bates is just a remorseless killer, with his most notable victim being his first wife. Plus, he's got some seriously creepy vibes going on, so that's enough evidence for some. (laughs) Uh, how about this? The 30 Rock characters are superheroes. Yeah, you ever hear this one before? No? 30 Rock characters are superheroes, and one of the stranger theories on this list, we're left with the possibility that Liz Lemon's horrible eating habits are actually a superpower. In fact, a theory claims that all 30 Rock characters have superpowers. Liz has mutant genetics since her junk food addiction hasn't yet killed her. <laughs> Frank uses the phrases on his hats to control others. Jack is a telepath that can read minds, and Kenneth is an immortal lost in time. 
Ah. Sesame Street is just a rehab center for monsters. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Here's what they say. It's easy to forget that at their core, the Muppets on Sesame Street are actually monsters. There's a gigantic bird, a trash curmudgeon, and a literal vampire. Well, these are all terrifying thoughts, one theory claims that Sesame Street is, in reality, a rehabilitation area for formerly frightening, frightening monsters to become civilized. In this rehab center, monsters stay inside a quote-unquote neighborhood as they learn to educate children inside of uh, eating them while they find less destructive outlets for their monstrous side. How about that? Did you watch uh, Sesame Street when you were a kid? Honestly, no. What? I, I did. I watched Arthur. Arthur? Yeah, the Aardvark. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you were talking about the Dudley Moore movie about the yeah. drunk. <laughs> I mean, that's also true. But uh, no, I used to love Arthur. I was big into that Barney, that giant purple dinosaur or whatever. Oh, uh, you were a Barney guy? Yeah, I was. Mm. Peter Rabbit. I used to love Peter Rabbit, even though that wasn't a show. Those are, you know, the little books and everything like that. Yeah. Big into Peter Rabbit. I watched Sesame Street when I was a kid. Yeah. Loved it. I mean, of course it was on, you know. Grover actually is my favorite, not Cookie Monster. What, what's his, su- is it just Super Grover when he puts on the, the yeah. like, Knight's hat? Yeah. That, I like that. Grover is wonderful. He's hilarious. Um, Jerry is a sleeper agent in Parks and Rec. I love all the stories behind Jerry. You know, I had him on the show in studio. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, there's no backstory on Parks and Rec more questionable than Jerry's. It's so, it's so funny. I, that character is just great. You know, when you finally see his wife. She's a smoke show. She's hot as hell. Total dime. Though there's no backstory on Parks and Rec more questionable than Jerry's. He has a weird collection of skills from piano playing to painting. He has a beautiful wife and overall perfect family. Something's going on here. The theory, he's a sleeper agent for some nefarious terrorist organization. It explains the whole too perfect life, complete with a government job where he has access to all sorts of sensitive information. <laughs> Wait. In Pawnee? That's that's where <laughs> they're going to put him in Pawnee. <laughs> that's where the least informed citizenry is. Dunder Mifflin employees are actually in hell. Some fans online believe the Scranton office is quite literally hell, but not throughout the whole series. There is a theory that it all started in a two-part season five episode called Stress Relief. In the episode, Stanley has a heart attack during a safety drill, but he survives and soon returns to work. The theory is that Stanley actually died that day and is sent straight to hell. And what better punishment for him than spending an eternity in the place that he hated the most? That's a great episode, too. It is. Angela tries... <laughs> she keeps her cat in her office drawer. Yeah. She takes him out. Save Bandit! Yeah. Throws him up into the ceiling and he comes crashing down the... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the main characters on The Walking Dead are going deaf. That, that is very specific. Um, ever wonder why none of the characters on The Walking Dead can hear a walker approaching until it's too late? While some fans roll their eyes at this on- ongoing plot hole, 
one Redditor tried to explain it all away with a pretty solid, believable theory as to why this keeps happening. The Redditor said walkers can can get so slow, can close and unnoticed because the main characters are all suffering from a large amount of hearing loss from repeatedly firing off guns without hearing protection. <laughs> Sound theory. <laughs> that's funny. I think that's all right. I don't mind that. The reason, there's a reason why the characters in Seinfeld are always catching up with each other. The characters on Seinfeld are always in Jerry's apartment or the coffee shop updating each other on who they're dating or their latest work catastrophe. Well, it sounds like simple exposition uh, dumped by the writers. There may be a reason for it. Since Jerry is always on tour doing stand-up, the Seinfeld gang might not see each other every day like the characters on Friends or Frasier. That means whenever they do get together, there's a lot of catching up to do. All right. Well, there's some weird theories, man. People got a lot of time on their hands, don't you think? All right. Hey, what's uh, coming up on the show tomorrow? Dan Feinberg. Oh, yes! Yes! Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter to talk TV. Always a blast to have Dan on. And uh, we'll catch up. There's always a lot of TV to talk about with Dan. So, all right. uh, The uh, early morning news is coming up.